0: This card could represent a person you know or will encounter or some aspect of yourself that is present or to call upon now. The King of Swords is a mastermind. He has a mature, calm, analytical intellect which he uses in the pursuit of truth and justice. He is a direct communicator and an absolute professional. His decisions are based on careful thought. He knows who he is, and is committed to his own truth. He will not bend to peer pressure or societal norms. Societal, societal. How would you actually? I
1: think yeah, societal. Yeah, I think you know that.
0: I feel like it's a weird, like it's almost an alliteration. Society's norms. You could have. You could have ownership over it, like society being the, yeah, the greater that, it's, group. Yeah, it's their norms. Yeah, so are society's they norms. Can you yeah. talk to these? People? I will. I will. I'll, I'll let him know. He is aggressive, and can even be aggressive in the pursuit of justice. He is ethical and does not sway from what he believes is right. He is not one to consider the emotions of himself. It went away. Again. Oh, take it again. Take okay. It again. <laughs> <laughs> I lost where I was.
1: Uh... That's all right. I'll edit around this. It's fine.
0: Where were we? It moved it. It moved it, man. He is aggressive in the pursuit of justice. He's ethical and does not sway from what he believes is right. He is not one to consider the emotions of himself or others when they are in conflict with logic or ethics. He is an excellent observer and can offer an objective perspective in confusing situations. He may value ideas over relationships or do things that make it seem like he does. That's an interesting last point, isn't it? With the He may value ideas over relationships or do things that make it seem like he does. So actions that appear where a value system lies, but may not represent where the relationship is actually held
1: interesting how does that make you feel um well i think does any of that resonate with you as a person or you as a band i think it does i
0: don't think i'm reaching too far to identify with some of it i mean it's hard i'm i'm conscious with a tarot deck that you can search for meaning or you can search for what you would ideally like to be and attach it to yourself as opposed to who you actually are. Um, I feel that I've pulled this card at the right time. I mean, I think that uh, with with anything like this medium, um, they're momentary. I don't feel like a tarot deck is giving you a lasting evaluation. I feel like you've got a momentary. And I feel like that the words I've just read, if not applicable, are at least something that can start the, the analysis of who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah.
1: It gives you like an entry point.
0: How good is heavy metal? <laughs>
1: Welcome to Fuck You, Tara Lady, episode 36. My guest today is Riley Strong. How are you, man? I'm good, man. we I'm here. good. We're, we're here. In, we're in the same room.
0: We're in a really nice house, in a room, post-COVID, with a beer and a cup of coffee, a cup of cream dolloped coffee, I might add. That's the type of existence we're living here, and I want people to know that. I want the listener right from the start to understand the setting because I think that's important too I mean the last time we did a conversation that was recorded we were in an upstairs of a brightly white painted newly built townhouse and I feel like that type of manic existence is what springboarded conversations like which chocolate bar is superior Mm. but I've walked into your space today and I've walked into uh, velvet Mm. I've walked into earthy wooden tones i've walked into exposed beams in the ceiling Mm. uh rooms in the arc of the roof and i feel like we're on a different plane man i feel like this is a great progression of life i mean um as we said, this is not actually your space, so you can't take credit for it. You're actually just like a little caravaner. You've just turned up for the summer season in Dramana, gone for a swim, <laughs> jumped off the pier with the Lebanese kids, and then you've gone back to Melbourne. You know, that's the vibe. But I feel like this is a really good good basis for for a conversation tonight
1: and don't feel bad because there's still questions about dessert coming at the end of the podcast anyway so not much because i've still got a sweet tooth yeah it's like back to the future too it's the same but it's a different different enough for you to enjoy it but it's still the same thing
0: they know we're going to get up to 88 and go somewhere you (laughs) know but that's all they know yeah because who knows where we're going to go that's right biff's there it'll be fun we'll have a laugh your kids will understand it (laughs) funny thing about that though is that they're depending on the demographic of this podcast's uh listening base um, you know obviously not the demographic i'm gonna add because they're all old you might find that those references are completely lost you know no, i, I feel it's like fine do stress. you think back to the future is a transcending like it transcends generations i uh, is it one of those films that goes that far
1: it's a really hard question to ask because i came at the tail end of it where like all those 80s movies you mm. know like all the spielberg kind of stuff and I don't know, like Goonies and Indiana mm, Jones, mm, and all those kind of things. I think they kind of pushed past the 80s and became yeah. 90s. And now, I, I'd hope kids are still watching Back to the Future.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, it was old when I was young, but um,
1: yeah. But you still liked it when you first saw it. Yeah, right? it like, yeah.
0: Blah. I think yeah. No matter what age you are, I'm jumping off Back to the Future. But no matter what age you are, if you see Kurt Russell in a film, you should really enjoy that. I feel, you know, and that's why those films still go. Big Trouble in Little China, for yeah. example, that just came to mind. Pork Shop Express. <laughs>
2: it's
0: brilliant <laughs> stuff. It's brilliant stuff. Did you know John Carpenter, who um, did that? I hope I got his name right. I'm not. A, yeah, I'm no, not a all, movie buff. You're all over it. But um, he uh, still talks derogatively. Derogatively about that film like it, it was a failure it failed it flopped it didn't work he lost a lot of money everyone lost money and he uh, it alienated him for, for ages and now everyone's on the bandwagon in a really kind of quiche way with that film oh yeah and there for sure. there was even talk of a sequel starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson the way there's a sequel of everything starring Dwayne The Rock Correct. Johnson um, but he came out scathing and just said no nah, that movie never worked I don't know why you all like it <laughs> but I like it It was the first action film I saw. I was living in, um, sorry, I'm going off already. I Um, love this. I was living in Buchan in grade three. Buchan is in uh, central Victoria, Gippsland type of vibe. It's famous for its natural caves. That's why people go there. Um, That has nothing to do with the story, but that's what it's famous for. So if you ever want to go to Buchan, I would recommend the caves. And we're talking (laughs) Jake. Yeah, and tights and mites. You know, the mites go up to the roof and the tights are
1: hanging on tights. That's how you know the top and the bottom. Um, Mel used to be a cave tour guide back in New Zealand, so she knows all bam. of that as well.
0: Mel knows all of this, yeah. So um, I,
1: I'm, I was taught by Mel which one's which. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm surprised I remember that from grade three. But uh, a bucking, you know, one bike club in town, one pub, one rec hall, one karate class in the rec hall type of town. Um and my best friend, uh, he had a dubbed v- version of that. And that was the first ever action film that I watched and wow. experienced like a cinematic violence. And it changed everything. It turned me into uh, a ninja mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. I was a ninja for a long time. Um, but a ninja who definitely idolized Kurt Russell's mullet more than any of the, the mullets of the the ninja actors Mm. everyone had mallets. it was it was the style at the time obviously but i wanted to drive a truck i wanted that actually started a lasting thing that that goes through to this day in that um that taught me to wear tight light blue jeans with a boot knife Mm. Mm. it's a very important skill to learn in life (laughs) (laughs) i actually almost put the light blue ones on today damn it
1: yeah, and you can get the you can get the singlet as well. I've that got he, it. You, oh my god! Yeah, awesome. <laughs>
0: a very dear friend of mine, uh, a, tra- a Travis who drives Desecrator. Uh, he's our he's our um, bus driver and dear friend. He um he thought it was outrageous that I'd never done that, so he sorted that out for me. Way to go! Yeah, uh, he's a good he's a good man. It's a he's good a gift really, as well. Yeah, it's a good gift. Do
1: you wear it often with the jeans? Quite often. Mm. Yeah,
0: more often than I would really admit. Um, <laughs> at home, out. It's not a costume to me, it's a lifestyle.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You want to commit to loving a movie that great. You know, forget John Carpenter. I know he'd done some great things, but he's an idiot to think that it wasn't a great movie because it's fucking awesome. Instant cult classic.
0: Absolutely fantastic movie. Um, I actually uh, quite enjoy... A a good friend of mine, uh, we he's quite good at a quick mobile phone photoshop cutout, and he will cut out photos of mel gibson and kurt russell from different points of their career but always the same age and just send them to me so you'll have mad max here and mel and and young pork chop express Kurt together mm-hmm. and then you'll have like really like like snake pliskin or like later kurt and then you'll you know with grumpy kind of insane mel and it'll just send them to me there'll be no reference point for it and i hope there never is apart from that it's a good thing to send your friend
1: my uh, my favorite era of mel gibson is that when he had that really twilly mustache like he looked like a western bad guy he was
0: yeah it was kind of an eccentric phase for him he really embraced art at that point like it was yeah i'm mel i play tough guy roles but i'm just remember behind this i'm an actor i'm an artist Mm. you know you know he failed at, that he failed acting school.
1: No, I didn't Ooh. know
0: that. And then, then just became famous. <laughs> I feel like sometimes the road to success isn't always written by the King of Swords. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not always. It's not. It's not always the perfect road of integrity and moral
1: Does that give you hope, knowing that Mel Gibson failed acting school and still became a good actor? Like, is that is that a is that a as in because I've been
0: because I've been failing at music for so long? (laughs) One day I might get it right.
1: There's no there's no school for like for musicians to. I mean, well, there's music school. Was in Box Hill. Did you go to music school?
0: No, fuck no. Um, (laughs) But a funny story about that. So I obviously the listening base can't see, but I've got a rude haircut. and I have had for a number of years. A very good friend of mine is a hairdresser who was working in Box Hill opposite the music school. And she had a young guy from the school come over who was starting to go bald. He was a guitarist and you know general rock look and he didn't know what to do and he was all freaked out about it, as you do get when you're young. I mean, if you're in your young 20s and your hair starts to go and you think that's a thing, it's you know it's intimidating. She showed him a photo of me and he got a scallet.
1: Wow. <laughs> the
0: dude's rocking a scallet. I actually I don't know how it's m- managing to happen, but that's how my name tends to precede me with this mm. f- fucking ridiculous haircut that I've been rocking for 7 years.
1: <laughs> Do you need to get on the record now and tell people you are more than just a scallet that you you know you've got a ha- heart and brain and I
0: feel like if I start going too far into that it might affect my Pantene endorsement, <laughs> you know. I worked really hard to get Swartzkopf behind me. Yeah. You know, I was such an oddball wild card for them. But mm. you know, they saw I had some Zaz. <laughs> some sass. And they went with me. They went, here's a here's a six foot tube bloke with the shit haircut. Let's back this in.
1: <laughs>
0: and you know, ever since I've just been hanging on for dear life. I mean that's the only way I make money.
1: It was off the scallet. Yeah.
0: TV appearances, shopping centres mm-hmm. that closed down market over the road. Yeah, that's what closed it down. <laughs>
1: Did you go for the grand opening and it closed like the next day? <laughs>
0: it's a ten grand gig, man. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out all they had was ten grand. <laughs> buy market.
1: That's it. We didn't even buy any of the food yet. Fuck, we have to just shut shut. Um, do you want to jump into a couple of lightning round opener questions so yeah. people can get to know the Riley Strong. we have already heard about your you know, upbringing a little bit more. Let's dig into a bit deeper. Yeah, let's go. Um, when there was no control in the house, what was music? What music was playing? Like What parents were playing music? What was going on?
0: So I grew up, um, most of my life was uh, me and mum. I was raised by a single mother and she is a singer. She's still my singer she's actually um before I came along and and wrecked everything um she was a professional singer from the age of 16 she was uh and she's got a beautiful 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 voice Uh, we always had a piano in the front room so there wasn't a lot of music played until I started to discover music mum was going through a period where she didn't play a lot of records or she'd lost a lot of that in a flood when I was young and she didn't really restock it all she kind of got out of music when the 80s happened she was very uh lounge piano bar uh folk type of thing and then when pokies and synths came in she was like fuck that noise and out she went but um a lot of my childhood was spent with her playing songs on the piano and uh kind of hearing her music at home hearing original music and um I had that influence of uh, sit around and and kind of hear people collaborate and create. Everyone'd have a go. Everyone, yeah, my grandpa, except for me, I never had a go. I was a shy kid. But yeah, uh, so so I grew up with music, but nothing uh, that was recorded music until I discovered it myself, really. And I was I was talking about this just today, actually, um, in grade three when we were living in Bucken. Big Trouble in Little China Territory. A lot happened up there for a place that has three caves and one rec hall that has karate in it. (laughs) They may have more now. I should probably say that as well for tourism. A good friend of mine is a a tourism advisor. Uh, He's a metalhead and a tourism advisor out there. And it's a total coincidence that he is because I know him from Melbourne. But I feel like I'm making his job harder, not easier. And he's really big, so... (laughs) <laughs> I need we would have to. to get him on the pod to just <laughs> do damage control can you just not tell him about the pod is that yeah let's just keep the pod from him yeah just keep it just um, for us you know i uh had two step brothers at the time two older stepbrothers and they were like 13 and 15 and they had dirt bikes and they tapped me on the back a dirt bike i was in grade three and um they gave me ugly kid joe america's least wanted uh, and a dubbed cassette of the Black Album. Mm-hmm. And that was the first two things that I heard that was beyond like Michael Jackson bad because the film clip was interesting or something mm-hmm. as a kid. That was the first time that I heard music with open ears and and took in music and I made big decisions. At grade three, I can, I can remember doing it. It's something that I talk about with family because they remember it as well. I decided I wanted to have long hair, tattoos, a V8, and play heavy metal. I made all those decisions in grade three.
1: And you made all those dreams come true.
0: I did. By about 27, I sat back and went, fucking hell, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the scariest thing you'll ever do in your life is reach the uh, the dreams. Obviously, I've got more goals in my life, but those actual those tick boxes were achieved. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, Ugly Kid Joe and Metallica's Black Album, and I still covet those those records especially ugly kid joe i got a good um, really good ugly kid joe story actually please tell kid me joe story. I, would lo- I would love to hear it so they a few years back when they toured australia for the first time in you know since the early 90s in their heyday um i'm a mega fan like like they're my beyond everything else just because i heard them at that point and they changed everything for me i've just got an irrational love to listen to america's least wanted over and over end to end and I don't I don't hear it in the way anyone else hears it I don't hear it objectively I just hear great stuff that made me really excited when I was a kid so I covered it massively Um, so when they came out I was really excited a friend of mine was tour managing them and some other mates of mine were actually doing the tour around Australia that was the support band I chopped them out on the day uh, and brought down some gear to help them out and got a triple A pass to the show and it was too much pressure even for me who exists (laughs) in fucking backstages all over the world and i've i've supported i've met i've played with most of my idols but i couldn't go backstage i went to the gig as a punter because i already had a ticket and i'd loved it i had the best night ever but i stood out the front the whole night and afterwards i got a text from my mate who was who was uh crew bossing it saying saying where are you man like you know the the stage door's open for you. Come back, hang out. I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. So, fast forward to a week later, the singer from Ugly Kid Joe, uh, Whitfield Crane, and uh, the, the guy who was playing guitar at the time, Sonny Mayo, they stayed for a bit longer in Australia after the tour was over. Now, Desecrator was supporting DRI at the Bendigo Hotel on like a Sunday or something. I think it was. There were a few bands on the bill, but DRI was the main card and we were playing with them and it was my birthday. And my bass player, Paulie, who happened to be doing uh, sound for Ugly Kid Joe, just said on the night, oh man, can you chuck some names on the door for me? I, you can probably tell where this is going now. But. <laughs> so, so I'm three deep in a desecrator set and it's going well. The crowd was good. It was all going well. And I, l- I look down and Whitfield Crane is in the audience, just, just watching, just Whoa. staring directly at me and watching me play heavy metal. And I've never put in a more de- a dedicated and th- thought out and focused vocal performance in my entire life. Uh, yeah, it was mega. So anyway, afterwards they came back, uh, they hung out, we met. Uh, I ended up in a d and with the dude for like three or four hours because he's a really uh, like insanely uh, deep and thoughtful guy. And we got along really well. Um, you know, went off on a tangent and had a great conversation and it was one of the great nights of my life man i got to meet the dude who started it all for wow. me talk about music like go through song lyrics together you know talk about life first thing he asked me was like i'm pretty sure it was either the first thing or or one of the first things he was like do you cry man <laughs> i'm like fuck yeah we're going somewhere here with, wow. this, with this you know and i love that shit so i'm like fuck yeah let's talk about that straight away and we had a beautiful night. It was really, it was an unforgettable time. So Ugly Kid Joe came into my life in grade three. And then by my late 20s, I got to, to hang out with him and do a thing. And then funnily enough, actually, now that I think about it, I gave him a Desecrator shirt that night. And he was really quite intense about it because he's just, at the time, he was living very transient. So he was living out of a backpack. And uh, he wanted me to explain what the shirt meant well luckily he picked a shirt that actually meant something as opposed to just some fucking thrash metal skull that we were
1: <laughs> it looks cool man people like skulls <laughs> exactly that
0: we were peddling at the time but it was a it was an album cover so album covers are generally thought out and i talked to him about it and he dug it put it on and then that was when he launched a, his first ever solo album that he yeah. did acoustically with another dude if you watch the film clip he's wearing his desecrated shirt all the way through the film clip
2: what
0: yeah i woke up to like a thousand tags on facebook (laughs) you know before work you're waking up getting ready for work i'm just bleary eyed looking at your phone you're like fuck me you know wow yeah so that's how that played out i haven't seen him since he's been back to australia a few times but it hasn't lined up but it was just a really nice moment i mean that's That's kind of how those things happen with music, I guess. Is you have fleeting moments with people because you, you know, music's so momentary. Like you get a night together, or you get a run of three shows together, and you're normally from opposite ends of the world. But we had, you know, it was a moment. It was a moment for me. You know, he might turn around if someone asked him and go, "Who?" But uh, I don't think so. I think it was pretty cool enough that he'd go, "Yeah, that was that guy." But uh, yeah, it was it was huge for me, man. So that's one of those meet your heroes
2: moments. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it paid off. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it would have gone down that well if you went backstage that week before? No. Because you would have been weird. Yeah. And then it would have been weird. Backstages,
0: than- the whole backstage thing is fucking weird, man. Backstages are safe zones for bands to prepare, to cool down, to get changed. To restring a guitar. To fucking eat some carrot and hummus because <laughs> there's always <laughs> carrot and hummus to eat some sweaty ham and damp cheese, usually. There's, how, how do they get the ham so sweaty? No matter how many countries you go to, the ham's sweaty and the cheese's wet. You can slap a dude in the face with the cheese. But every time, ham and cheese... It's like like someone told them with the rider, they're like, now they like their ham, sweaty, And the cheese has got to be wet.
1: Yeah, make sure you leave it out long enough (laughs) where the condensation can mix together. (laughs) Do you know
0: when cheese, the yellow changes in a cheese slice and goes that darker, harder yellow, but it's still wet? How did you keep moisture in the cheese but dry it out? It's a fucking paradox. But here we are in Scandinavia. Mmm, better play a show. Anyway, um... Backstages aren't spaces to meet people because it's kind of like cold calling a lounge room. Mm -hmm. If you walk straight into someone's lounge room when they're watching neighbours, they're going to be only half ready. They got their relaxed shit on. Mm -hmm. So you're either too far in their space and you go too far into catching them off guard and that's where you get that offhand shit happening or... They've got their guard up and they don't want you there and then it's just awkward as fuck mm. and they're just going through the motions. So I find backstage is weird. I mean you, you always hear about backstage parties and shit and sure they do happen but 98% of backstages I've been in whether it's a fucking broom cupboard or like a palatial fucking backstage, first thing you do when you turn up to the venue is you get the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> Next thing you do is you sit backstage in those fucking couches and you sit on Wi-Fi and do nothing and you definitely don't talk to the rest of your band (laughs) and that's that's what backstage is for ignoring your band members while you're in the same room having a brief discussion about the show that's going to happen that's the whole reason you exist and that's it and drying your salty clothes that you haven't had a laundry day for yet you know like oh that gig shirt's like folding itself like a cardboard box i better wet that before i go up there you know mm. otherwise the stage lights are gonna catch that and they're gonna think i'm a grot imagine that going to a gig and going that thing is a grot <laughs> <laughs> i'd fucking love that band but that thing is a grot um so yeah the backstage thing i see it from the other side i understand why people want to go backstage mm. because it's a forbidden kingdom mm. you know and there's an allure yeah and look i've definitely raged in backstages too and you definitely have your backstage things where a couple of bands you get together and you party or you've had a really good show and the kickouts not till three hours later and you've got a crew that night so they load the gear and you just get trashed and have a really good time and ruin the show the next day you know that type of fun stuff <laughs> it does exist but In my life anyway, it's been so minimal that that I can't imagine putting myself in someone else's space to kind of invade that. Um, My girlfriend is a notorious backstage invader. She's been doing it forever. Um, She goes in and eats the catering and leaves Mm. on all kinds of... Like if she read through the list of bands that she's done that to, it's it's quite intimidating. Every fucking band we've ever played with, that's for sure. But 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 headliners that you'd just be shaking to go into their backstage, she just goes in and eats their rider and leaves. Mm. That's her thing. So she, so some people do feel comfortable in those settings, but I feel like you've got to have a certain a vibrational connection to to bypass that door. You know, I've definitely sat there when people have come in to say hi like I'm um, you know you're seven shows deep like in a row you've been traveling eight hours a day or something and you're just tired you've been living on ham and cheese for a fucking week <laughs> sweaty ham and cheese <laughs> and just stolen riders from the end of the night when you kind of sweep the venue before you leave and people come in and that's their one night you know, like you're in their town for one night and that's their one night to party because they don't give a fuck if they've got a hangover the next day. It's a different thing for them. Whereas you're thinking, I've got 36 more shows to play. Yeah. I've got 36 more ham and cheeses to eat and 36 more of you dudes who just want to party until I die. Yeah. So you do have to put that guard up a little bit, I think sometimes. So yeah, going back to the original question, all that ran through my head See I overthink shit yeah. like that, but all that ran through my head, and I thought i don't want yeah, I don't want that to happen the The only time I've done a backstage like walked in as a not a band on the bill because I feel like if you're on the tour it's a different thing like yeah. sometimes backstages are still a bit forbidden with you know if you're supporting a big headliner, you wait to be invited in, but the barriers do break down eventually if the run of shows is long enough, but I got a chance to meet Rob Halford Whoa. Yeah, um, do you want my Rob Halford story?
1: I don't know. I don't know your Rob Halford story. I'd love
0: to tell you my Rob Halford story. Please do. Yeah. So, when they were out here for one of the festivals, I think it was. It, it wasn't the the recent one. It was the um the one before it, when Soundwave existed. Maybe they did a Soundwave. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's say it was Soundwave because it it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. It was a touring festival in Australia, and they were on it. And uh, the same mate who tour managed to ugly kid Joe who's actually been on a previous podcast. Was, I'm talking about Shrimp.
1: Oh, yeah, Shrimp. Yeah. I love Shrimp.
0: So Shrimp was the one who gave me the AAA for Ugly Kid Joe oh, because he's a champion, and Ugly Kid would. Joe needed a foot pedal that day, and I happened to work, be working in guitar shops at the time so I could hook him up. So same thing. Shrimp calls me in the middle of the night. I, I texted Shrimp because uh, my girlfriend and I were flying to Brisbane to watch Priest because they were doing a side show in Brisbane. It was in a smaller venue, so I was like, it's got to happen. We've got to go watch him in a club show. That'll be yeah. sick. So, it was just before we were taking off to do that tour with Hyrax, which was the one that ended up in Russia, which we've talked about. You can go back and listen to a different episode of a different podcast if you want to hear it.
1: Correct. Thank yep. you for that plug.
0: That's right, man. Um, we <laughs> flew up to Brisbane. We were flying up to Brisbane. And uh, Shrimp calls me at like tw- 12 o'clock the night before we were going to leave and says, man, I need you to do me a favor. I, I really need your help. Um, It'll really help you get in with Judas Priest. And I said, Oh, you know, straight away, your ears are going ding. He, goes, um, he said, Rob Halford's has left something in his hotel room. Um, I need you to go to the Sofitel hotel on Collins Street in the city and, and go pick it up. Bring it up to Brisbane. I'll let you know where we're staying. Come, give it back to me, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, Yeah, sweet. No worries. So I turned up. I signed for the package. It became very evident very quickly. It was a large amount of money in a, an envelope. Shrimp did include him. He, he did say at the time too, he said, uh, don't worry, it's not drugs. You're not gonna get in trouble, it's fine. It's like, thank you for including that, that's good. you know. But uh, so anyway, I had a, a pocket full of cash and I put it in my bag and uh, I flew up to Brisbane. I went to the hotel. The rest of the band were at the bar, got to meet the band, hang out. That was all, that was awkward. It was small talk. That's what it is. At the bar, they were just like, hi. And shrimp did his best to like break down the barriers. Was uh, he asking if
1: anyone cries? Was that like... <laughs> <laughs> he
0: didn't dive <laughs> as deep as quickly, but he did ask if anyone's got tinnia, which I feel like a, you know, a way through, oh, you know? They yeah, didn't do that. That's a good icebreaker. <laughs> it is though, because no one likes footbunkers. bunkers. You know and i feel like being the caring people we are that i would have just ducked out and got some athletes foot cream you know like that and that blue can spray you get for between your toes there i would have gone out there and got that for them but anyway so met the band no rob gave him the envelope go to the show the next night shrimp says rob halford really wants to meet you and say thanks for bringing his package back so my end the way it played out that rob wants to meet you and say thanks that gave me the small amount that i needed to not overthink that backstage situation so i watched the show it was fucking amazing I, it was just fucking amazing that's all i can say about it It was judas priest to a t everything happened the motorbike the costume changes the set list was sick there was like fucking none um, i feel like there was only hundreds of people there might have been more but either way it felt like an intimate show for a judas priest show side door backstage walk in what I walk in, Rob Halford's gotten changed, he's standing there, and if you see photos of Rob Halford not playing gigs, you'll see that he's a big fan of shorts. So he's wearing his shorts.
1: What kind of shorts?
0: Just black, nondescript long shorts. He's a very nondescript black short guy. He had his black business socks pulled up, which I feel like anyone over the age of 40 just does as a rule. You probably get get that in the mail that it's time to do that <laughs> like it's like a driver's license renewal <laughs> it's time for the socks to go up and they give you a little chart that you that you put in your sock and you pull it up to the right level and then every year they go further up and then all mm. of a sudden they replace them with uh what they call the suspension socks for the, for the varicose say, veins yeah, when do you yeah. Get- <laughs> i feel like that's the the fruit compression socks exactly i feel like that's the the yeah the the end date of that and then by the time you're out of compression socks you're six feet under so that's your sock progression in life I didn't discuss that with Rob but I wish I had it now that I've mm. talked about it with you I feel he would have liked it he would have standing there in his socks he's got a white m- mug in his hand of let's presume because he's English it's tea and on the m- mug it says Rob so I'm standing in front of Rob Halford with a white mug that says Rob Rob Halford then turns to me and says hi how you doing I'm Rob Rob Halford introduced himself to me as Rob with a mug that said Rob in his hands. What the fuck do you say to Rob Halford introducing himself to you? The most known man in metal besides maybe... No, the most known man in metal. Let's face it. He is... There's not a face that you could pick in a crowd easier than that man's.
1: That's true. He's Uh, got a very iconic look.
0: Absolutely. He's the metal god. Anyway, so we had some small chat about KFC. KFC. That is for real. Um, he loves KFC. Loves right. KFC. So we had a chat about it. I uh, you know, came up with a witticism that everyone laughed at politely because it wasn't that funny. But I was trying. You know, I had to do something. I'm the funny guy. Hey, look, I'm in your backstage and I made a joke and uh, everyone's calm now. So we did that for a little bit and then we had a photo together and it was magical. Uh, my girlfriend uh, brought her jacket to be signed by him. She very meekly said Rob can you sign my jacket? Rob like the absolute legend he is put his arm around her and said come over here love and we can do whatever you want and he signed her jacket like a champion and she she melted like butter on the floor. She was instantly the cheese that was wet yet hard around the edges because she's still brutal. So anyway, that was where was fun. this
1: kind of callback effort that's happening in this podcast right now for Rob? You could have really, you know, yeah, um, this is some it's gold true. shit. You could have got him going, um,
0: Yeah, so that's the time I've I've gone backstage. That's my Rob Halford story wow. too. Yeah. Do
1: you want to do another one of these questions? Yeah. Let's <laughs> see <laughs> sure. if we can figure out if there's another famous person you met that we can incorporate into these questions. Please.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's... Um, not, I just suddenly had the thing that I just name dropped heaps of no, people, it's awesome. but I didn't do it because I think I'm cool because I meet these people. I just... I, I don't have... At the age of 35, I have nothing to show for my 10 years of heavy metal except for my experience of 10 years of heavy metal. That's been my life. And I think some people don't quite understand that. I think a lot of people out of music don't understand. Um, They've got kids that they're proud of and can tell stories about. They might play local sport that their friends go to occasionally to watch an event, (laughs) you know, local team sport.
1: They might have won the cricket game on Saturday.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or just thrown stubbies at the pitch from the side when their mates didn't you know but either way they're involved in those community aspects whereas as a musician you generally skip a lot of that you know know, like i don't have those things i have 10 years worth of focus on taking a band around the world and experiencing life with that and um these stories are my calling cards for where I've been and what I've done, and they also, when I think of them, I can remember the high points mm. of being in a band and of touring and of achieving, because there's plenty of low points. So these are the nice points. This is when you hit a six.
1: It's what you do it for, you know. It's why you're you're out there on yeah, the front exact. lines of heavy metal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, these are my the tattoos down my arm type of thing. These are my stories, and and I tell them not because I think that I. Not in a bragging sense, I tell them in a life experience sense to share something. Like if I can share my experiences from being out on the road, then I feel like that's at least some contribution that I can put forward, you know. And I enjoy doing it. So yeah, I'll continue to name drop people shamelessly. I I want you to. I feel like I'm out of, now I've just given myself a get out of jail free card, so I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. In fact, I'm just going to interrupt every time you speak with <laughs> a name. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I want you to see how many you can time back to some of these questions. Did you ever use MSN back in the day or MySpace? What was your name back in the day? Did you have like a fun screen name? Oh,
0: no, man. I've always been Riley Strong. I've been blessed. <laughs>
1: You've got too good of a name. I've been to blessed be- to
0: have <laughs> Strong as a last name and Riley as a first name. You know what I mean? Um, everyone thinks it's a, a stage name. Mm. Um, it's not. Uh, I played in a band for a little while pre-Desecrator that the singer was an old UK punk and he, because of that whole Cockney rhyming slang thing, he didn't believe me until I showed him his driver's license. He thought my name was rhyming slang for highly strung. It's highly strung, isn't it? That's what it is. Riley strong, highly strung. That's what it is. What? You, you're fucking kidding me. You know, He had a good English accent when he said
1: it. <laughs> that was a great accent.
0: Ah, Come on, man.
1: No, I'm not. I wouldn't be able to pull it out as quick as, and as well as you did just then. I tried. Know? I yeah, tried. I rehearsed classic.
0: them in the car before I came in. Actually, this, this is all just <laughs> real. This <laughs> is all. This is all joke real. You see how, no matter what you ask me, I just go into what I want to talk about. That's great. That's because I'm rehearsed. Oh, okay, cool. What yeah. about
1: your worst tattoo? What did you prepare for that? Have you got a worst tattoo?
0: I've been lucky enough that my uh, best of best friends since uh, high school is a quite. Uh, a chief tattoo artist, so... Oh, so that's all... Yeah, yeah, my buddy Marshall, um, he runs a shop in North Fitzroy called Third Eye Tattoo and he um, he's quite a good artist. Um, I watched him go from being a young aspiring artist to quite an achieved artist and it was nice because at a young age, I, I saw a lot of people with shit tattoos, mm. I saw a lot of people make shit choices and I saw him have to do shit tattoos on people because they wanted it and then they whinge about it to me and that kind of gave me a little a little bit of a a sense of they made the mistakes f- for me you know what mm-hmm. I mean by the time I got mine the worst decision I made with a tattoo was to get my first tattoo on my fucking chest I had no idea how a tattoo was going to feel and I just got a massive piece on my chest and it fucking came I can remember it
1: it's a big, it's a circle or it's a... It's, it's a It's a Buddhist symbol. It's, tell yeah. us about because I've, I've seen you with your shirt off before at yeah. a gig. It's pretty common.
0: <laughs> it is pretty common. What does it mean? What, um, I, I always wondered what it... it a doji like is a symbol for for mindfulness. Um, you'll often see uh, in the hand of uh, the Buddha, if you're talking about uh, Tibetan or Thai Buddhism, um, the Buddha will, I think it's a right hand beholding a doji, which is a, just a a symbol of awareness and mindfulness. And the doji normally has four floral p- points, but the doji with the blade on it that's that's tattooed on me is um for extra stubborn minds. So it can cut through the stubbornness to the mindfulness. And uh yeah. That's relevant to me. Yeah. Old oh, mate King of Swords. Well, I was just about to yeah. say sounds yeah.
1: very relevant. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um what was your first instrument? When and why?
0: Guitar, grade three, Ugly Kid Joe, America's Least Wanted. So
1: you got like an acoustic guitar? Yeah, man.
0: Yeah. My mum had bought me a keyboard, like unbeknownst to me at the time, my mum had bought me a keyboard for that Christmas because she wanted to encourage me to start playing the keyboard because she played the piano and she thought it'd be a good foundation that even if I wanted to play guitar, I wish I had played the fucking keyboard as a side note because as a guitarist now in my 30s, I can't play the keyboard for shit, but the hand separation involved would be very good right now. Mm. But anyway, uh, I wanted to play guitar. It was all I wanted to do. So I got an acoustic guitar, and from then I started you know, playing guitar, guitar lessons. Mum was mega supportive. Having a musician, mum helped. It also helped her crack the whip and make me practice you know the hour a day was very much from a young age you know if you want to do this i'm going to pay for lessons you're going to practice and she used to listen and because she knew music she'd sit there and count and she'd be able to judge it and go you know you're learning Beatles songs as a kid and like uh you know let it be or knocking on heaven's door or you know, all those those open strumming songs and she'd s- sing along and if I'd fuck it up and i like, go oh, back to the start and, you know. So, it was, it was very regimented, but I loved it. Um, I've had a guitar in my hand ever since and I've never wavered from that. I've always been a guitarist. That's, uh yeah, that's my instrument.
1: Fucking awesome, man. Uh, what was the first CD you purchased with your own money or tape or record or whatever it was?
0: With my own money. Now in grade three black album and you know, like your joe. joe but then fast forward to grade five when shit changed for a severe left turn and really set the tone for for who i am now is that my black album tape had eaten itself a couple of times i think i had a dubbed copy and then mum bought me like a proper copy and they'd both eaten themselves you know as tapes do i think yeah. we, had, we had a shitty old mazda 323 that you know we used to go on road trips and i'd I'd put into Sandman on for the fucking 20 millionth time in the car and mum would tolerate me, bless her. And then in between she put on Kenny G and Katie Lang or something. I think that was what she was listening to at the time. So it was fucking brutal. But um, it ate itself and my grandpa uh, took me to Brashes uh Brash's in Mooney Ponds and he took me in to replace my Black Album tape and I'd saved up my money to do so. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm correcting saying that I'd saved for this, which is why it had taken like a year since the tape had eaten itself. And I got into brashes and had all the Metallica tapes on the, the rack and I'd never seen any other Metallica except for the Black Album. That was all I knew that existed. I didn't explore anything else. I had this one album. I knew every word to it and that was my Bible, you know. Wow. um so I was looking at the tape covers and Injustice for All was there and I'm like, ah, oh, there's a chick on the cover and it's white. That's not going to make any sense to me. You know, it's scales and I don't understand that. <laughs> looks, I don't understand justice. Looks, looks, <laughs> looks cracked. It's broken already. Why would I buy that? <laughs> but beside it was a chair suspended by lightning mm. and the whole thing glowed blue. Unlike the black album, that was just a hint. I mean, the black album was cool when you're a kid because you get it in the right light and you can see the snake, and you're like, "I'm yeah. seeing secret shit," you know. But it's like a magic eye. Yeah, sure. They <laughs> um, no, were trying to come much like that. on the, the Ugly Kid Joe tape, where there was uh, the start of start of one of the songs, and it shits me that I can't remember But there was like a slowed down vo- a vocal passage that you couldn't hear if you skipped that track on the cd but it's there if you don't skip to it but on a tape player you could hold the play button semi down and it was like that half fast forward function where it'd go a bit faster and it'd play the thing fast enough that you could hear the audio mm-hmm. that was a good hidden function wow. no idea what it said something about you know some father and son and something deep that a three you know great f- three-year-old doesn't fucking understand or resonate with <laughs> but i loved that i had access to it that's probably how I chewed the tapes, yeah. <laughs> pressing them halfway down all the time. But anyway, Ride the Lightning, I discovered it for the first time and I went, that covers way better. I've had this other one twice, I want this one. And um, that was the day I discovered that there's actually only been one album released in the history of the universe and that's Ride the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Um
1: you uh, did a very fascinating thing with the Top 10 Challenge where you just did Ride the Lightning 10 times. Is that correct? Which was the most on-brand thing for you to do and I loved it so much. That's
0: very much a, yeah, Yeah, that sounds like something I'd do. It's just a correct <laughs> album. It is, it is, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm quite happy to argue it, um, it is the most authentically thrash metal album in existence and I say that because it has no crossover it has no crossover mm-hmm. to it's got it's got a a rock influence or it's got a a death metal influence or they were doing this or the drums like that. it is just purely the tone of thrash metal and there's something that is unrelentingly ferocious about the sound of it that is not in anything else mm. I think the only thing close to it for me would be Raining Blood Mm. it's not my favorite slayer album the, the way mm. ride the lightning is my, my favorite metallica album what's your
1: favorite slayer album just as a side note
0: i like show no mercy mm. um, I, I go early i like Raya. I like falsetto array a lot yeah. yeah if he's not gonna play bass i want the high notes you <laughs> know what i mean if he's just gonna fart around on that thing i want all the high screams and they were so good especially when they give that r- real falsetto shriek and then go out into white noise when you just like bring him down mm. I love that shit um, like only he
1: can do that you know yeah like, no one else can do it I've tried to do it there's a moment I sound like end a duck um,
0: drowning <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's at the end of a municipal waste album uh, and he does like an array of scream and it's rad mm. but it's, it's it's an impression it's still someone of an doing array, an array yeah, yeah, exactly. of scream
0: it's not someone doing their own thing that happens to be the same as array of scream it is that's a patented scream mm. man. Yeah. Um, so I discovered Road of the Lightning uh, with my own money And yeah, that really just bolstered I don't think that I ever deviated from that small gene pool of music Until 35, 2020, you know I just don't think I've done it
1: <laughs> Do you feel like you're missing anything? Or do you feel like you're getting all of your, you know Dietary requirements from the music you listen to? Like
0: fuck, you know The fuck else is out there I mean, if someone can write a song, I'm happy to hear it, but I haven't heard one.
2: Mm (laughs) No, 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 I'm being a dick.
0: I was actually, I was talking to a colleague of mine at work today because he was telling me about some Mr. Bungle offshoot. He's a bass player. You know, a bass player is always like Primus and Mr. Bungle. It's like part of life for a bass player. Correct. And yeah. having
1: a like a bass clef tattooed somewhere on your hand. Yeah. Your wrist or yeah. Somewhere. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Sure.
0: And failing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all part of being a bass player, um, unless you've got Tom Araya screams. No. Mm. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about those bands, and he, I said, oh, it sounds cool. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out tonight. I said I got a, a, a thirty-minute drive to come to this podcast tonight. I'll put that on. He said, man. I kind of feel like I'm across what you like and I don't think you're going to like it. And I said, look, I may market myself as the most ignorant person on the face of the earth when it comes to music, but if you looked at my iTunes library, you'd see there's at least three albums in there, Mm. you know, maybe four.
1: (laughs) 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 And what was it? Did you listen to it? What was it? Was this this new album? No, I didn't listen to it. No, I didn't listen to it. Because they've got this, the new Mr. Bungle out is like all the songs they wrote when they were like 17 in high school and they've just recorded them now, like 30, 40 years later or however long it was.
0: So if all the stuff they wrote when they were adults was no good, is this like the the demos of the no good shit?
1: (laughs) Well, it's a lot heavier, you know, like it's, it's, it's less, it's less bass funky. Yeah. Okay. It's a bit more metal.
0: Good on them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mike Patton's allowed to try different things. He's allowed to do anything. Yeah.
0: He's allowed, he definitely does everything he's not an anything doing anything guy he does everything that guy's yeah that guy's gone from far left to far right i'm good on him i got off him though when he bagged you seen that footage where he was slagging off wolf mother backstage <laughs> at a festival and i'm all for you know if you want to slag off someone slag off someone it's a right of opinion whatever is being interviewed but it just seemed fucking unnecessary like wolf mother it's irrelevant my opinion on Wolf Mother, you know what I mean? Um, I don't own a Wolf Mother album. I'm sure Stockdale's a nice guy. I haven't met him. I know people who have. They say he's lovely. That's where that ends for me. I just don't think he deserved a complete dressing down by a really famous and influential singer who has a horde of fans who will just do what he says. Mm. I, I thought it was unnecessary at the time. I thought maybe just like go to your backstage, tell all the people who've come to visit to leave, take a couple of moments, eat the sweaty ham. He'd probably have prosciutto at his level.
1: He would definitely have some Italian yeah. cured meats. As his cheese his-
0: would be soft to start with. So when it went hard, he'd be probably glad.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think there's something funny about that. And I think that same as like Greta Van Fleet, you get a similar kind of backlash of then- like, these guys are trying to do this thing that was cool and they're trying to bring it back. Yeah. Like, But The Darkness never got that. Did they get that? When the no, dark- I feel like they yeah, were increased.
0: There's some f- some fine lines. And I think that the that what people forget is that's just the one band that have succeeded at playing something that you recognise. There's fucking 50 million bands doing it and not succeeding that you aren't bagging. You know, like, I feel like if they're a local band... Everyone would pump them up. Like if Wolf Mother were playing Cherry Bar in Melbourne, they'd be like, there's this sick band that sounds like they're from the 70s. Let's go watch them. It'll be sick. And they'd sell it out. James Young would be there in his cowboy hat. He'd be introducing them. Everyone would be having Jaeger. They'd be on the bar. It'd be happening. They'd, you know, play Deep Purple after it. It'd be just a night, you know? But then the minute they got famous, everyone's like, sounds like the 70s. They can get fucked. I'm just like, what happened there? Is it tall poppy syndrome? Is it it fully the Australian vocabulary of of tall poppy? You know? I think so. I just think, why wouldn't you unanimously pump everything up? Like Greta Van Fleet come out. They sound heinously like Led Zeppelin. Why not pump that up? Led Zeppelin aren't currently sounding like Led Zeppelin. They're old. They're chilling the fuck out. They've written all their songs and their songs are sick and we love them and they change the face of music. But why can't another band come and just pick up the reins? Mm. How many bands have sounded like Oz Rock? Mm. You know what I mean? Oz Rock and being championed for it. Mm. We'll take them. We'll eat them in their fucking bucket loads. Mm. But someone just goes that tiny bit of something we don't want them to touch and we don't don't like them anymore. We, We don't like them.
1: What are your thoughts on Airborne? Because when you're talking about picking up the reins that say ACDC left off, yeah. which they haven't because they're still going, like Airborne has that, oh, they sound kind of like ACDC and they're from country Victoria, well, or blah, blah, blah. Like- I
0: definitely, we've toured with Airborne um, quite comprehensively and uh, Joel and Ryan O'Keefe are, are dear, dear friends of mine. So I'm not objective in this at all, which mm. is why I'll say that out front. But there was a time that I knew of their band and saw their band before I knew them as friends. Um I love what they do and the fact that they are succeeding Mm. as an Australian band, internationally dominating. We're talking selling out shows that no other Aussie band can touch. People here don't understand how big they are in Europe. I mean, we didn't totally get it until we opened for them every night on tour. They sold out 28 or 27 shows of that tour just on their name, venues that held anywhere between 2 and 3000 people. Wow. And that was a clean up tour. They'd just done a f- they'd just done all the festivals to 10, 20, 30,000 people. They're now breaking arenas in Europe. You yeah. know what I mean? They are unanimously loved over there and it's so good to see a band that started from grassroots work their way up the hard way of filling a rental truck with marshals and touring regionally succeed. Why wouldn't you pump that up? Exactly. You know, and why wouldn't you get behind it's it? It's a
1: tall puppy thing, right? Yeah. Because like we saw Airborne like at the palace yeah, you know, yeah. years ago. Yeah. It was awesome. It was like uh we talked about it the other night It was the only a gig I didn't have earplugs and it was the one so earplugs. loud. It was awesome. And like yeah. you know, it was a big rad thing and then you're like oh yeah that's pretty good for Melbourne yeah. like filling out the, yeah. the palace or, the, yeah, yeah. or whatever you want to call it and then but then you find out they've got like songs in like the NFL like playing yeah. when like people score touchdowns and it's massive it's like what the fuck I was like, watching
0: Bathurst the other week and Airborne came on as part of an ad break I was at the Sprint Cars last year and Airborne came on the PA I'm like they're everywhere it's fucking yeah. crazy they're on that Cobra Kai thing oh. on ne- on Netflix it's now like, really? yeah one of their last albums they they didn't know about it. It was just a management deal that got done. You know, they're, they're large enough to not yeah. be part of all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. You tour with them overseas, you turn up, see their nightliner, and then see the semi-trailer that takes their backline around, which is 12 Marshall stacks on either side of the fucking stage. They've yeah. got two backdrops, fucking lighting rigs everything that all just travels as a traveling show, and you go, fuck me. This is a real band in the way that I thought bands existed when I was a kid. This is what I thought existed, but when I got out into the real music world, I realized it doesn't exist anymore. No. I've toured with I've toured with Venom, Vital Remains, Overkill, Hyrax. I've supported bands bigger than that. I've supported bands sm- smaller than that. I've, I can't even think of all the bands, but not none of them had their back line in a semi. Mm. You know what I mean? They were all just playing good shows to good crowds and they were running skeleton crews and they were getting by and they were keeping it going, you know? Some had bigger crowds, some had smaller. It depends on the town and the night. But then we went out with Airborne. I was like, fuck me. This is huge. And they're the raddest dudes for it. They're really severely good dudes. You go meet the brothers to tell them that their band's good, even if you walked into their backstage. They would give you every moment they had. Couldn't be nicer dudes. Yeah. And that's rad,
1: you know? Do you think they're also nice because they didn't get the uh, support, the homegrown support, and that's maybe led them to be a little bit more humble because they had to work Look, hard, it could or? be.
0: It could be. Um... I think a lot of things in their career, they went overseas early before, you know, they went to the States and they tried to break them in the States and they went to Europe and they did a lot of work overseas that succeeded really fast for them. So I feel like by the time they'd hit their mega, mega, mega stride, they were an international band, not an Australian band. So mm. there, there is there's a reason that that australian crowds are, st- are still a bit like oh i think i've heard of airborne you know they've obviously got a big following like i saw him on the alice cooper tour they did the shows with alice cooper and half the fucking crowd left after airborne whoa yeah i was talking to the ticketing guy on the way out um he's like yeah man all these dudes in airborne shirts all left and we thought they were unhappy we're like what's going on with the night and they're like oh no we just came to watch the the other band you know nothing against alice cooper obviously it's- Dallas Cooper.
2: Yeah.
0: He was phenomenal. But um, if they had their own fan the, base. you
1: paid them for the ticket, it's like to just know. stick around, you know?
0: Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently they only want Airborne. And look, the whole ACDC thing, I think that's overblown. That's such a simple, like a simplification. Yes, they sound like ACK, but they also sound like the Angels. They sound like Rose Tattoo. They sound like every band that was in a pub from that era because mm. that's what they come from so I feel like they embody everything I love from 70s and 80s rock and roll in this country Mm. not just a one trick thing it's actually funny their last album that came out last year they've got a song which I wish I could remember the name of ACDC's album that just came out about a week ago if you listen to the intros side by side AC have dropped an airborne whoa chord for chord like it is just it's a tone out but the the intervals between the chords and the way the vocals come in and everything, I couldn't believe it. It blew my mind. I'm like, hang on, has the world gone topsy turvy? Who who's borrowing from who? Yeah.
1: Is there a secret that Airborne has been riding those rims all along? <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> Airborne kept ack alive.
0: <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's a a, a long send off um, from the fact that I just think that when a When a band makes it beyond a national or local level from a starved market like Australia, a removed market where I can tell you that the record labels of the world look at Australia as a quirk and not fucking much more. And they look at signing bands from Australia as a, yeah, but if I sign you and release you in Europe are you actually going to tour seven times Mm. in the next three years? Mm. Or are you going to come here once, get gassed, and then break up? You know, which is what? Aussie bands struggle with consistency Mm. because we live so fucking far away and it costs so much money just to start up to get five dudes in a backline overseas. So being that Australia has so many challenges in the international market, if a band gets international attention, that helps everyone every band get international attention every time a band legitimizes on the international stage from australia the world looks at australia mm. i can tell you what happens because we've been caught up in that you know when king parrot went and broke from being a local band to to being an international band that was another one of those moments mm. that was another one of those moments where there was a lot happening for australian metal because one band got up Everyone was ready to cut them down, but that's Australia, you know, but why wouldn't you pump it up? You know, why wouldn't you get behind someone succeeding? I guess it's just jealousy, isn't it? Correct. Uh,
1: I think so. I think mm. it's, it'd be hard if you'd been slogging out in a band as well and they didn't get that same yeah. break you'd be like fuck those guys i guess maybe I don't know, i'm not uh, advanced. So i couldn't tell you
0: yeah well yeah there's normally a, a large disparity between the amount of work structure planning and input between the bands who make it and the bands who don't i mean every now and then a band gets picked up and they're part of that less than 0.2 percent of the top of the pyramid that happened to get that moment in, pl- in planets aligning but the rest of the time it's actually just a fucking smart business plan mm. and it's a band that realized that if their ambitions are beyond fucking about that they really have to think about it mm. bands are really thought out structures Mm -hmm. there's there's the business level of your band there's the artistic level there's the psychological level of four or five dudes together there's a lot to think about to keep a band together and to plan ahead enough to to get somewhere if you're not planning five years ahead with your band and don't have a at least outlined set of goals for five years and the steps you're going to take to achieve them You're wasting your time with your one year, in my Mm. opinion. Like, you've really got to have a plan in this kind of market because nothing's left a chance anymore. No one's getting picked up from that agent in the back of the room. That agent in the back of the room's fucking 22 and he's replying like an asshole to emails saying, we're full. That's Mm. all agents are these days. They're not the old blokes in the suits with the cigars out of the gigs going, I don't get it, but I'll release it, you know? As Frank Zappa once said, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said something along the lines of he liked better when the music industry was run by old dudes in suits who didn't understand music. They'd get it, they'd go, I think I can make a buck off that, and they'd release it. And they'd release things like, well, Frank Zappa. Then all of a sudden it changed. and all these ye- young dudes were brought in who were supposed to know what was cool and what was not, then all of a sudden we're wearing fucking shoulder pads in the 80s and pants suits mm. with T-shirts under the suit jacket. Who the fuck brought that in? You know what I mean? Chinos. Thank you, record industry. New wave happened. Fuck me. <laughs> Thank you, record industry. I don't think it ever recovered from that.
1: There's a question here on this which I have to ask every guest and I can't leave it out but I know the answer. Okay. Metallica or Megadeth? Uh,
0: it's, it's getting harder as I get older. It used to be easy. It used to be really fucking easy <laughs> and I'll tell you why it was easy. Not just because Ride the Lightning is the only album that's ever been released. Correct. Um, also because I just fucking hated Dave Mustaine's voice. I loved his riffs. I love his band. I love Marty Friedman. Um, I just didn't like his voice. I just couldn't listen to him but as I get older... I dig his voice more and more I'm, I don't know how it must be the, the softening of the high register in my ears or something like where that ride cymbals just <laughs> in band rehearsals making Mustaine sound like Barry White you know, good <laughs> he
1: said that look at me I don't, you know um so what you're saying is I could potentially ask you a few years down the track and, and I'll, I'll still like say Metallica oh, yeah. okay good yeah right. great <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite music video You've made a lot of cool music videos in the past. Like, what do you um, look for for inspiration or what are the sick videos you remember kind of growing up as a kid?
0: Um, So, music videos, I grew up with Rage. Well, obviously, I'm the age group where you'd tape Rage, you know, especially if had a metal special, you'd tape it overnight yeah. and fast forward the shit songs. And you'd always be guaranteed that Anthrax only, uh, Sepultura, the... Oh, they used uh, to do Roots Bloody Roots a lot yeah, on Rage. Or the live one with the extended drum... Uh, i just remember there's a
1: dude uh, who does a like a backflip a standing backflip in that video and i was like how the fuck did Uh. he do that like that was just captivated me more than the song
0: years and years and years ago we played a show at the the hi-fi bar now max watts with uh toxic holocaust and this at the time young dude named ryan who then went on to play guitar in harlot from melbourne and now plays guitar in mason from melbourne he that night got so excited um that he was doing flips like a motherfucker off oh the stage. Was and it was he the, first, the guy? There's he, that he's photo? The guy. He's that guy. I was at that show, man. it yeah. was the most insane he's shit that guy, ever. And then McManus pushed the security guard that was trying to stop him Into off the, the front <laughs> of the stage, which is probably the best thing that McManus has ever done. Um, yeah, he. Uh, that was the f- first time that I'd seen full flips. I mean, d- dudes have jumped off stages in really awkward ways beside me off my stages, totally. but, but I've never seen full cannonball flips and total disregard to safety flips <laughs> yeah because once that security it's, guard uh, went over it yeah. was
1: like all hell broke loose yeah. and then, i think john Raptors or someone got a yeah, photo yeah. and yeah, it's it was like, raptus yeah. mid flip and it's yeah. like holy fuck yeah like, what a fucking photo yeah,
0: yeah. um so I feel, yeah that in those clips it yeah, definitely has impact um <laughs> live clips for me man I've always been a live dude I love live live albums are generally my favourite thing to listen to Mm. I love the organic experience that's why Desecrator's first album was a live album that's why we've always toured harder than we've released my connection with music is organic live experience. No, the studios aren't places where I thrive. They're places mm-hmm. where I just capture what I need to so I can get back out on the road.
1: Is it weird for you as well to do like vocals without the guitar or like once you've laid down everything, you are like stand in the booth. It's hard, do- yeah. Yeah, that-
0: yeah, it took me a while. The, um, yeah, it, every album's different. But for the first couple of recordings, we had to, we put back speakers uh, behind the... Microphone and kind of baffled them as much as we can to stop the bleeding of the mic because I couldn't sing with cans on my head because I'd never had that experience. I'd, everything I I'd developed about how I approach music is in a rehearsal room. That's, mm. I made this up as I went along, you know. So when it came to track it, the only way I could replicate it is if I had foldback speakers yelling at me. Mm-hmm. You know? That was just the way to do it. I have to have the way that I got used to because you play so many small venues that don't have good foldback, the sounds never reliable i developed a way to i can generally tell if i'm on point by how the note vibrates in my chest Mm. because everything vibrates from the fold back and you can feel the dissonance kind of thing and that's how i will work it out so it's not really about hearing myself clearly it's about just the fucking feeling of the floorboard shaking so i had to try and create that in the studio without ruining the recording since then i learned how to sing with cans that was a good skill but um but yeah, at the time it was hard to do. But yeah, I love live albums and live clips. So I always used to like watching, whether it was like Alice in Chains live clips, I remember they would always come on or um, oh, Pearl Jam had that great one where Eddie Vedder's monkey barring across in the early days. I think it might be Animal or something. Oh. Um, like even the music was irrelevant, the live clips because i just wanted to be on that stage already yeah. when i was young you know i just i wanted to be part of that live gig and live music culture i wanted to be on that stage i wanted to be part of it so film clips for me always wanted to be live so when it came to desecrator and and doing film clips i've always lent heavily on the people around me to to kind of be a, a creative gene pool. Like I'll involve someone. If I don't have a particular vision or I haven't conned the rest of the band into letting me just do another live clip. Um, <laughs> because if you look if you look on YouTube, there's a lot of edited tour footage of many, many, many live gigs. And I love that shit. Yeah. That's what I want to watch in other bands. So that's what I want to release in my band. But yeah. Um, You have to do more than that. So when it came to, like, doing the horror film clip we did where I killed the band, um, that was... We involved a mate of mine who was a horror film director and we together kind of worked out what it could be and how it could be storyboarded. But I needed his input on that because I really... I just go back to, all right, so we'll make a horror film clip. Now, when the band's on stage and they're playing live... Yeah. Even though
1: I kill everyone, they still come back and we do a live set and half the people are like zombies. We've wanted for
0: ages to do a part two to that clip where the band do come back as zombies. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah we just never got around to that one.
1: There's still plenty of time.
0: I don't want to write a zombie-based song though. Uh, yeah, I don't think I could do that. I don't like zombies as a topic, man.
1: What are the literal, like been, the, the literal, the, things the, just the, the, lyrical, the lyrical themes of Desecrated. What are you singing about usually? If you don't want to sing about zombies, where, where do you feel at home... In the, in the lyric zone.
0: Uh, early on, I sung a lot about uh, war. Um, not from... Like, I tried to do it from the most respectful standpoint I could because I've never fought in a fucking war. I've never experienced one. I hope I never do. Mm. So I would research parts of history that interested me and I'd find segments to turn into songs. Um, apart from that, generally, I will just let a song kind of write itself i've got i've got a hundred notes in my phone that are just all different taglines or things i hear or someone might say something and I'll, i'll write about it but yeah there was a lot of military in there a lot of hell i've always found found hell a lot more interesting than heaven i know that's very very stereotypical but um i try and at least sing about it like i'll create stories as opposed to just hell is a bad place there is fire the devil is bad Satan although I do say that in a song. No, I don't. Um But I try and I try and at least create a narrative that'll take you on a journey. You know, so if you do go to the effort of reading the lyrics or if you can not understand me seeing them, um, you're in a story. Mm. I like a story. Uh and for a band that you can understand the words, I think you need to actually put that content in there. I listen to a lot a lot of our peers or thrash bands or or heavy metal bands from from younger generations. And it's, I don't like extremely simplistic vocals of just like, yeah. Fucking cut his head off. Fucking kill him and then he's dead. I like death and blood. Death and blood. I like death and blood. Fucking kill him then he's dead.
1: Sounds like you got the, just the makings of a hit song there. I don't know, maybe you you should... Turn your back on really smart lyrics and just like, you know.
0: <laughs> Would the King of Swords do that? <laughs> because I no, feel like I feel like he wouldn't. I feel like he'd He's head strong. He's headstrong. I feel like he'd hold fast on that one. Mm. Uh, can't bend steel, baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, last to round out these questions, it's taken like an hour to get through. <laughs> and I'm stoked about it. Because I didn't really have much else planned for this conversation. Uh, worst gig, best gig either played or being there, you can kind of take your pick in that spectrum. All right. Some highlights um, and some low lights.
0: Well, I'll give you one that was bad and good all in one. We were on tour in Poland. I can't remember the exact city, but we were in Poland with we were opening for that was the Venom Inc and Vital Remains tour. And it was a it was the first Polish show of the tour and Poland had always gone well for us. So we were pretty excited about it. Um it was a a stage that had been installed in a rec hall maybe like five six hundred kids barrier rec hall stage where first on um sound check before doors doors room filled out really well like great buzz circle pit it was all happening we were feeling pretty fucking good about it um and then the pa- the whole backline power straight down oh <sighs> Everything went. Um, nothing apart from acoustic drums. All of a sudden, all you can hear is like, taka, 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 taka. <laughs> and we're looking at each other going, What the fuck? So I look over to my roadie uh, and good friend of many years, Slick, and um, I look, Slick at the time was helping our lead guitarist at the time. Scotty was having a bit of a wireless drama. So he was helping him with his wireless when the power went down. And apparently, I don't remember doing this. Apparently, I yelled from the center of the stage, fuck that idiot off and fix the power. <laughs> and he's looked back at me like, the fuck do I know about power? I'm just your
2: tech, you know? <laughs> so,
0: so we're standing on stage, and the crowd kind of, you know, do what crowds do, what I do when you're in the crowd. And, uh,. You first you yell and you carry on and then you start to tap your foot and go what the fuck's going on here so we're like what the fuck are we going to do cue drum solo because what the fuck else can you do it's the only interest- instrument that makes any noise jared quite good at getting a crowd to interact with him but you've only got a little bit of rope in that like mm. you know does anyone really enjoy a drum solo does the drummer even
1: really enjoy a drum solo? These are big questions we're asking on the podcast tonight. Uh, it's a good question.
0: I feel like that one doesn't have an answer. I feel like that is um, you know, that's it's
1: like Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, it's like it is uh, or isn't. Yep, a drum solo. Yeah, uh, it's a good question actually. We is it a that.
0: drum solo? What defines a drum solo? Is it when it-
1: I think it's when the drummer's really famous and he wants to just show off for like, and there's a bit in the set list that says drum solo. like I th- in. I
0: think it's when the singer's really gassed and he needs a break in the set and he needs to get on his oxygen tank backstage. <laughs> Have a, qu- a quick bit of sweaty
2: air <laughs> sweaty oh and get back
0: out there. Or like I saw Bobby Blitz do on stage one night. He, he ran off for, I think it was a guitar solo, he ran off side of stage And then he ran back on just in time for the vocal cue with his buckle still undone. And before he went into the vocal, he's going, I just took a shit. And then he went back into the vocal seamlessly. He literally, in a music break in the middle of a song, he went, took a shit and got back on stage. Wow. One does have to question the thoroughness of the man's wiping at that point. Yeah. You know.
1: Or even if he washed his hands, what's going to happen yeah. now? Post-COVID world, you know, you're touching microphones. Hopefully
0: it's only his microphone. <laughs> it, was at the, it was in the UK somewhere. Anyway,
1: um, so the power's So out. the power's He's gone out. Solo.
0: Yeah, drum solo's happening. It feels like it was out for 20 minutes, you know, but every minute feels like 10. So it was probably out for under five minutes. But yeah. uh, Slick literally chucked his head torch on, crawled out under the stage which was oh, just crawl space high like like picture Bruce Willis in the air conditioning duct Die Hard you know what i mean that's the space he crawled through pitch black head torch crawled under the stage to the back wall where the, the power was turned out the idiots had plugged the lighting rig power in with the backline power and cuz lights always go on and off they trip power all the yeah. time so they have to have isolated power so slick's repatched the whole fucking thing into the right powers Lights have come back on, ju- all sound back on instantly. Like all of a sudden our amps are just ringing. Whoa. One, two, three, four, jump into the song. You could not get a more ferocious crowd at that point. Whoa. So we went from like disaster damage control like what the fuck are we just going to walk off stage and just admit defeat to all of a sudden it came back we played i think we had three songs left in the set and they were mental we sold the most merch that night that we sold for like weeks on that tour so that was the worst and best it's fucking shaken after that one but yeah it was that was a really good test to be in a band of guys who have their shit together so that they could just fly back in and no one was unnerved to a point that their performance suffered. Like everyone was just back on 10, you know? Wow. Yeah, so that was a cool one. Um, I feel like I've had a few of them. I dream about being on stage and not knowing any of the songs and words a lot. Those are worst gigs. Mm. I get those dreams bad. I feel Is like
1: that the equivalent of like...
0: Naked speaking? Yeah, naked mm. at
1: school or something. Once you're not at school anymore. I get the don't...
0: naked speaking ones too. Oh, really? Yeah, they're not dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I just speak new to people. That's their problem though. That <laughs> don't work out. Um, yeah.
1: Do, they, do these dreams happen before gigs or do they happen just randomly? No, nah, they just
0: happen randomly. Not, like they'll come whenever. Um, I think it's just an, an underlying thing that you live with as a musician, you know yeah um this is ultimate fear. i mean i've had some some bad stuff happen on stage i broke the head off my guitar one night whoa and, uh,
1: how did that happen uh, i threw it <coughs> <laughs>
0: i threw it to someone oh okay <laughs> for like for like five years slick and i've been running this gimmick where at the, the end of the set I'd, I'd throw my guitar to him while I still looked at the crowd and hit the last note, it was a bit of theatrics. Yeah, yeah. that's good. It was fun. We knew it was gonna one day. Uh, I think we were in we we're in Scandinavia somewhere, and it fucking I heard it hit too because the crowd weren't they were loud but not loud enough <laughs> that you couldn't hear it go. And the front the front lines it was we played with about fifteen hundred people or something. Was, the front lines were close enough that they saw it go, and I could. I could see and hear people wince oh, <laughs> on nice. my behalf. So I've gone from like sick dude throws guitar trying from gig to dickhead breaks guitar yeah. in front of huge crowd.
1: And then how do you bounce back from that? Cause now you don't have a guitar and you're just standing there. Like, did you have any moves to pull out to kind of like stick to landing?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, there's a thank you good night with the hand <laughs> <of> the- <laughs> Good night. You know what I mean. Like you gotta throw a thank you, good night, at him after you've just like good night, good at your guitar. Yeah. yeah. L- luckily on that tour, that was uh, touring with Airborne, and their main crew boss is a he's a wizard with everything. He had my guitar repaired within three days. What? In between doing all his jobs for Airborne, he took my guitar apart, told me what glues to buy, and before sound check, check every day, we. Put it back together and within f- three, yeah, yeah, three shows, four nights, I want to say, um, I was back using that guitar on stage wow. and it's still my main red Explorer on stage. Uh, how cool is that? Fixed it with his head torch in the dark, the side of stage. A lot of head torch related things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. in the meantime, uh, Airborne traveled like eight Explorers in their truck. So, so Joel was like, man, just... Just use one of my guitars, man. Which is another, you know, not a lot of headliners That's will really say, nice, "Hey, man, yeah. you did a stupid thing. Here's my guitar." Because we did have a backup guitar, but it was a Flying V. And I told, I was walking Joel to his backstage room after his set that night. and I told him about it. I'm like, oh, "I broke my Explorer, man." He's like, "Oh yeah, that'll happen." He's broken his like like five times. Um, he's a climber, so yeah, now, I was about to broken, say, Yeah, he loves getting up he's on stuff. He's a climber. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, I said climber. oh I've got a <laughs> he's a climber um, <laughs> I said I've got a flying V it'll be fine man V's are cool and he went off into his backstage closed the door <laughs> then he poked his head back out and went nah V's won't do at all <laughs> <laughs> it was just like he thought about it for the extra like half a minute and gone like you're not a flying V man that won't do at all mm. take one of my explorers <laughs> what,
1: what a... makes a flying V man do you think Versus an explorer, man. I think
0: about, I think about maybe thirty-five million stance difference. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, flying V guys aren't quite as spread as explorer guys, mm. and I'm you. You are oh, spread. I'm quite spread. You're yeah. as
1: spread as you can get, yeah. I reckon. When I've seen you, up I'm there. as spread
0: as my jeans are allow i've got a lot of crutch blowouts that get repaired on the road if i don't get four or five crutch repairs out of a pair of like 70 dollars jeans i feel very ripped off about it Mm. yeah i learned how to sew actually marita uh, marita taught me how to sew so i could repair stage jeans and make a patch jacket because that's every metalhead's like ride a passage at some point you gotta make your own jacket yeah Uh, you gotta all right
1: <laughs> oh my god, that's so amazing. <laughs> you and Marita teach uh, you the ways of the, yeah, of the, the, of the, the sewing jacket. machine. <laughs>
0: well you know, I couldn't afford to take it to the Thai lady at the at Northland shopping centre every other week. She learnt my name and I knew yeah, I was going she, there too much.
1: Exactly. She's like you him again. Yeah, oh my exactly. God.
0: She finds it really hard to say Riley. So it's like <laughs> it's awkward for us both. Larry. I always get Larry. <laughs> Larry or Harley? <laughs> Like, I'll take either.
1: They both go well with Strong, you know? Yeah. Larry
0: <laughs> Strong. Harley Strong. Yeah.
1: That sounds like a hashtag for, like, dudes who love Harleys. Like, Harley Strong. Like, at the end of their like, Instagram Do Dudes who wear Nikes and <laughs> yeah. have
0: bum bags. Harley Strong. <laughs> Never does their Instagram feature a Harley. <laughs> it just features Harley merchandise and Nikes. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Harley Strong. Yeah. Oh, fuck. And Doherty's gym jumpers. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm, you ever been to a gym? Are you a gym guy?
1: Yeah, I, I not in COVID because they're all of course, closed. But yeah. yeah, I'm a gym guy. Generally I, a gym guy. I would Did never you, wear the gym merch.
0: Do you find, have you been a long-term gym guy? Like, like is this a long-term gym? I don't know, for the last couple okay. of years for sure. So, so you're quite comfortable in a gym. That's a fine place for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, wow.
0: Have you always been that way?
1: Nah, well the first gym I ever went to was a really small one with my personal trainer in Geelong. Okay. So it was like a really small place. Yeah. There's only like one other person there yeah. at other times. So it's like, it gets you really comfortable because once you get into like a Jets or a Deremit situation where it's that's like That's a massive, really good introduction. I feel yeah. like that's a great way to do it. Because then you don't feel weird about using the machines. That would be the thing that I yeah. think makes people uncomfortable when you're like, I don't want to use this machine wrong and then someone puts it on brown cardigan. You know? Yeah, totally.
0: Because there's so many videos of that. People just shame each other at the gym. Like some dude's in there just trying to work off his zinger and he's getting shamed. Some some birds in there getting like sweet calf muscles for like I don't know stuff, Mm. and they're just getting slaughtered for doing the leg press wrong. Yeah,
1: it's a a shame. It's 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 a it's 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 definitely a a rough world, world, man.
0: Mike Patton's bagging people. (laughs) The gym's fucking giving people a hard time. There's no safe space, you know.
2: No,
1: no
0: safe space. (laughs) It's all we want is a safe space, you know. That segues well into uh, cyberbullying. Oh, does it? Have you ever been cyberbullied?
1: Uh no. no. this podcast isn't big enough for people to hate me, you know. Anyone who listens just likes the show and is supportive of <laughs> what at I do, t- which is
0: great. Or at least tells you they've listened to it. Huh? Or at least tells you they've listened they've to it. Like, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Much like being in a band.
2: <laughs>
0: Man, I love I love your record. You don't have my record. But I heard it. Where did you hear it? It's not out. <laughs> But I liked what you did with it. I didn't do anything with it.
1: But then isn't there but something... But you look
0: good on stage. But there's
1: something positive about that, at least, because they're not shitting on you. They're trying to be supportive despite their it is. lack of interest.
0: It is, it is, yeah. <laughs> it depends. If they're speaking to you or themselves, you know, sometimes people... Uh... People give you positive feedback, but what they're actually doing is giving themselves positive feedback for giving you positive feedback. They're, uh, you know, they it's they're like them, really yeah. Talk, they're yeah. Themselves on the I'm feeling of- good for complimenting you because That's it's true. fucking charity. You pleb.
1: When I used to have so m- it
0: actually comes from a place of hate. <laughs> 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 an insecurity
1: r- when you used to have long hair people would be like great set man when I'm like at the Bendigo watching oh, bands man. and I'm like what like, yeah. I'm not even a fucking band oh, man. Like, so that's fun you the know? amount
0: of times I get off stage and Slick gets your vocals were great he's a Rodian. we look nothing alike he's Italian he looks like a calamata olive I've got a skullet for fuck's sake great oh, set pretty, man he be- comes up and tells me what people say he's like oh, this dude loved the vocals this dude said the backdrop looked good tonight and uh, these guys bought shirts yeah. They all loved me slash you.
2: Mm. Like good,
1: like, yeah, good. That's positive yeah. still.
0: Well, it's still point. it's still positive. It's mm. come to me via someone. It's better than hate.
1: So there's a thing... So yeah, talk about cyberbullying. What, what, what are we talking about when it comes to cyberbullying? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to that
0: thread. When you get to the point where you are on... You've put yourself, whether you're an artist, whether you're an individual, a podcast, or whether you're a band, you've put yourself in... Um, like up in the public space. Yeah,
1: you make yourself vulnerable. You to make it. yourself
0: vulnerable. Um and you get enough attention that just by pure mathematics with the positive's gonna come the negative. And you're mm-hmm. always for every hundred people who like you, there might be ten people who hate you type of thing. And unfortunately the internet gives the people who hate you a really neat, convenient, easy, unfiltered platform to hate you in whichever way they want to do it. Mm. Um and I was thinking about it. I mean, I've been thinking about it lately. I mean, it, it definitely has happened uh, to me on a band level, but I feel like that's... Uh, I've always tried to see it as that type of um, feedback, even though it's a negative and could be hurtful, could be personal. It's still showing that you're on someone's radar. Someone mm. gives a fuck enough to hate you. Mm. It means they gave a fuck enough. To to listen to you, Mm. and if people are caring and you're reaching people on any of those type of levels, if they care either way, you're still having an impact. So Mm. you're doing something right. You try to tell yourself that, but underneath, you're just like, "Why are they teasing me? This fucking sucks. Why can't we all be friends?" But at the end of the day, not everyone on the playground likes you. Someone wants to throw a footy at your head. At the end of you know, it's always gonna happen. Someone wants to bash you behind the bus shelters, no matter how many friends you got in high school. You know, Um, but that was leading me to think about it. I was thinking about the reality that especially uh, young people face these days where social media um, and the internet is there in a COVID world, especially it's their connection to their friends and their friends generally, you remember being like 16 to 19, your friends were your world, Mm -hmm. your social group was your, your absolute world, you lived and died by that and you thought until you got out of high school and you realized nothing meant a fucking thing. You thought that everything meant everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And it'd be really upsetting if that didn't work out, it didn't go the way you did. It was hurtful enough if you had a falling out in the playground with someone when you were young, but can you imagine having it online and then people having the ease of being able to hide behind a computer and, and and gang up on you? And if you take the internet and you take a social media platform in the kind of way that we would take real life face-to-face, which is how young people see these things, they don't have the disconnect and the unplug. Mm. Your reality would completely blur and you could really, really get fucked up by that stuff. And it's so common that people feel that being hateful is their right because it's their opinion. That's Mm. something that's changed in society. Being hateful means you're a cunt. (laughs) It doesn't mean you're smart, insightful or, or anything because being hateful comes from a place of anger and mm. anger comes from a place of fear. So really, you're just projecting your own fucking baggage on people. But if you have a platform to do that and then you can hide behind the idea of, well, I'm just speaking my mind, you know, because people love you know, love that one. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just my opinion. It's like, no, it, it's dog shit and it's coming out of your mouth. But there's no... Escape for a lot of people, where if their world's online and they're being shit on online, that's really the end of their world, mm. you know. And that's a horrible thought, you know, that people can't unplug. And I guess the reason I was thinking about it is that that I think there is a platform, surely, or a, a space where people, where especially young people and as generations go, we should be teaching people how to take a step back. Mm. We should be teaching disconnect. We should be encouraging organic activities. We should be encouraging a connection to tangible things you can hold and touch to reconnect people with the real world outside of the digital world. Mm. Sure, everything is going to be dominantly digital. But if you pull yourself off that screen, if you throw your phone in the bin and you look up at the sky, you realize it all didn't mean fucking shit. (laughs) Mm. if facebook crashed tomorrow and we lost all the data and all the photos wouldn't have meant shit Mm. wouldn't have meant fucking shit you know and i think that that's a really important thing that isn't being catered for you know i think that that's something that music can play a part in i think that music being an organic activity instruments being an organic thing going to concerts being a face-to-face thing i think that uh that Music can play a role in helping to do that and helping to be in the same way that music for our generation was a place that misfits could could meet up over, mm. or that people who felt like an outcast could not be an outcast. They could belong, which you know. Let's face it, every metalhead likes to be an, individ- an individual in a pack wearing the same thing. Mm. You know, we all like to belong on some type of level. We're part of, of a club of people with with similar interests and you know, varying degrees of stuff, but. I think now more than ever, as we come out of lockdown into society, because of all these things that, that do happen online, it's, it's just so important that people need to get back face-to-face. Mm-hmm. People need to, to listen to this podcast and log the fuck off and call a friend. You know what I mean? Or, or go sit in a park or you know, go for a walk or put up a basketball ring and bounce a basketball against a wall. You know, yeah. do that for hours break your arm on a skateboard it's one of the most liberating things you'll do in your life (laughs) you know anyway cyberbullying no good
1: it's a it's a lovely segue into this show coming up at the Bendigo Saturday December 5th it is how weird's that we're finally gonna get to come back to a gig at the Bendigo
0: how fucking strange is it that there's a concert happening all of a sudden like I haven't thought about concerts in a good year yeah last concert we played was a bushfire benefit um and that feels like it was 10 lifetimes ago because COVID has been such a strange reality warp in that it um it felt like a really long time I don't know it felt like it flew but it was a really long time but then uh, the reality shifted inside it so then to come out of it and all of a sudden go fuck life's back on music's back on gigs are back on we can do this yeah it's amazing um but we're in a mad rush man we're in a mad rush like we we said yes to to doing these shows um friday before last by sunday we'd launched one by monday one had sold out so we're like fuck let's do an afternoon show. Let's play a matinee. Why not? You know, if the evening's going to sell out and it's going to be seated, let's just play on it and do that. And then we did that. And that's, I think there's eight tickets left to that now. So that's sold really well too, which is sick. I love that people have gotten on board and everyone's, you know, keen to come out. So then we sat down and went, wow, that was a a bigger reaction than we thought, faster than we thought. Um, We better rehearse. Yeah.
1: (laughs) so so so, um, so you got the call like how did it happen like when gigs were open again did you yeah, get a call from dc or yeah like- yeah
0: i got the call from dc from the bendigo he um he was just putting nice together they decided to open up for music they they'd found a way they could do it uh, they'd work out you know how many people they could have and all that crap um he called me up and said what do you want to do do you want to do something? And I, I just, I always say yes. That's why he calls me because I always say yes. There's there's never a no. Say yes now, work out how later. It was funny. We'll, uh, I was meeting up with the guys in the band for the first time since lockdown on that Friday night to go out for dinner. And it was purely a catch up just because we hadn't been in the same room for so long. Um, and by the end of the dinner, we'd had that, that phone conversation and said yes. I was like, Heaps of pressure on now. This dinner's not about catching up anymore. This is about gig planning. We've got to put on a good show. So anyway, uh, it's exciting. I'm really, really stoked that um, that we get to get under lights again and get to stand up on stage again. I I think it'll be cool to a seated crowd. Like I'm vibed about it, man. Every you know, I There's I'm sure as many people hanging out and saying i don't want to go to a gig until it's 300 people standing in a room together again i, I get that because that's their experience and they want that experience but there's a lot of people who have hopped on board saying i just want music you yeah. know i miss music and i miss being in that space i think it's cool from a lot of angles that you you know the, the tables are tables of four i think so you get to to be with your you group of four in your own space. You get table service. They've got food and drink. So it's a really din it's a dinner and a show vibe, man. Yeah. Like you can get as drunk as you want and not have to worry about standing up because you'll be <laughs> sitting down, you know? And I And I can yell at you all you want, but you don't have to do a fucking thing because you're not allowed. Can't stand up. You know, just stay in your seat and order another drink. Um But it's cool, it takes it back to the dinner the dinner hall days of music like the you know back when when bands like ACDC were first cutting their teeth and they were playing regional pubs that had finished the dinner service and sometimes clear the tables but sometimes not clear the tables and people would just sit there and have a look fuck we've played in like like you know go play a Wagga Wagga or Woy Woy or um, Leighton and people will sit at tables and still, and still stare at you, regardless of COVID and rules. That's just what, what they do. You're in their town in the country. Like, I'm not standing up. I fucking did hay bales all day. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> and then they stare at you and go, what the hell are you doing on this stage? But anyway, uh, this gig will be good. I think it'll be cool, man. Um, I'm excited about it. We've done a run of merch for it.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to ask. That was my favorite piece about this whole thing is that we <laughs> joked. We were like, should we get those shirts with the tuxedos on them? And you Desicratic made it. got as, you covered, man. You made uh, it as merch. Yeah, it's uh, fucking genius. And I love the stubby holders as well. Yeah. Commemorative stubby holders. Socially
0: distanced heavy metal. We we'll figure we've got to commemorate the night. We're never going to do it again. I yeah. mean... Sure, we'll get up and do it. And I'm really happy to be part of the forefront of it and part of the the first rung of bands who have said, fuck it, let's just try. You know, we need to try, we need to push forward and we need to get some people through the doors of these venues or they're not going to exist by the time capacities are up. You know, Mm. the Bendigo are drowning from COVID. Mm. They need bands, they need gigs and they need people to drink hard. So everyone who comes, 12 beer minimum, you know what I mean? Um, it's a responsibility. It's not about you anymore. Mm. You know, stop being selfish with reasonable alcohol consumption. So
1: get fucking wasted and enjoy some heavy metal. Exactly. Save Melbourne music.
0: Save Melbourne music your own way, you know. Don't drive home. Be responsible. There's a sick new pizza joint between Fee's and the Bendigo. No way. Thin Slizzy. Whoa. Their pizzas are named after metal bands. Very good. Amazing. And it's not just that really yuck pizza that had been there all night that you'd eat at 2am that somehow the cheese had gone so cold it it congealed, (laughs) yet it still had hot oil on it. So you'd burn the roof of your mouth. How's the cheese congealed, but the oil hot? It was a fucking paradox. Mm. And they never gave up the secret.
1: I'm I'm excited to try this new pizza. It's
0: really good. I went there to try it.
1: Oh, Scott from Holy Serpent Who was a previous guest On the previous podcast as well And he used to make pizza back then too There you fucking go Boom Boom I thought I
0: recognised him But I was so busy Burning the roof of my mouth With a molten <laughs> Molten hot Olive That um, Yeah I knew I knew his face
1: There you go oh, yeah. That's so awesome Yeah So we're gonna go It's
0: gonna be great You can come to Bendigo You can spend all your money there But you can save a little bit For him And you have pizza
1: Amazing. No. Yeah. What else can you tell me about this gig other than... I'm telling so- you a fucking thing. Huh? Oh, okay, fine. We will have to just go. <laughs> We're already going. This is good. We've also seen this amazing thing that they've built on the outside alleyway of the Bendigo as well. Yeah. Like these socially distant little boxed things as well. Like, yeah. Whatever you call them. Yeah. <laughs> little box zones. It's,
0: like- a, it's a dunking machine if you don't like the band. <laughs> you throw the ball at the, the stop sign like a fate mm. and the band gets dunked.
1: That's awesome. You you can maybe figure that out. They actually
0: expand it during the week as Dunker Junkie, and whoever tries to steal from the Bendigo gets put in the chair, and you get to throw the thing at them. Dunker Junkie, which in Collingwood there's a lot of. It's a very popular attraction. Is it outside? Other junkies come to Dunker Junkie because they're not very loyal people. (laughs) (laughs) You've never seen a glass pipe thrown with more accuracy at a stop sign than at Dunker Junkie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's is this, is this happening side of stage as well <laughs> like while you guys are playing you guys can do like a little playoff as people are trying to throw the ball so it's a fun. drum roll at the yeah. least you know drum roll please We really used to be the, the handball competition on the Sunday footy show and that you know like the, yeah. The two, yeah we could do that and absolutely people from different bands trying to peg the ball at the junkie thing
0: I feel like musicians aren't very coordinated with ball sports I feel like I that's why they're musicians <laughs> <laughs> they don't do sports <laughs> It's like when a guitarist says, I'm going to bash her. you go, and by bash me, do you mean not? Because <laughs> you don't do that. We don't do that. That's not what our kind does. We might talk about it. But.
1: Who's doing the bashing at the gigs then? Is it the angry people in the crowd? I don't know who gets The ones to bash. that wish they could play guitar so bad. This they can't might be their- a
0: bash free zone. Oh, it's Can you bash a bit- sitting down? Sitting down?
1: <laughs> Can you sit bash? Yeah, we were talking about potentially heckling like our p- other groups and people on the table. It's just kind of like a bit of a yell.
0: That's good. I could turn tables against each yeah, other. Maybe fun- I could pit a table. Against- I like to turn a crowd against each other. I enjoy that. Yeah. I um, enjoy trying to turn parts of the crowd against each other. Um, so I could do that with tables.
1: Yeah, it'd be fun. You could create like a bit of a resistance. I also
0: like that I can, if food's coming out of the kitchen, I can stop and announce what food's arriving to what table. That would be fun.
1: How hmm. was like- the
0: hot dog? Tell us about it. You're Come gonna, up on the stage.
1: This line between comedy and music is just going to get like, It's been more blurred and more for blurred. fucking years, man. <laughs> now we're sitting in a in a dark room the while it's dudes,
0: on The dudes The dudes in my band always know that that if we are if we're having a hard crowd, like if they're not getting it or we're not quite converting them, it's going to be a lot more comedy than songs. They're like, <laughs> "Riley's going <laughs> to Riley's going to stand up." And I'll do it until they until they mercilessly enjoy us one way or another. <laughs> the further north you go in Europe, the more they just stand there and fucking stare at you. Sometimes I think it's because they have to conserve conserve body warmth, like mm. they you know they don't have a lot and it's fucking cold. They just stare at you, and you you're doing your best. You're going fuck. I do my comedy routine I, I try and do it in my my overly pronunciated international accent so they can understand me because an Australian drawl gets lost in two seconds oh. and I talk about some shit and try and get them laughing and you get off stage and go fuck I'm never playing again this is, this is it I quit this is fucking horrible they just stared at me until I fucking died and then they all politely shuffle up to your merch desk and go one of everything please you
2: go what the fuck amazing what the fuck
0: Yeah, that's Scandinavian crowds to my experience. Further north you go, colder it is, more they just stand there and then just buy everything you've got for sale. Yeah, it was good. Give me one of everything. Wow. Okay, sure. Did you like it? No.
2: I'm very cold.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Are you ready for our final lightning round questions or is there anything else you'd like to talk about with this gig?
0: Oh, man, I'd like to talk about everything. Um... No, I think the, the gig will be fun I think it'll be really good I'm really you know, There's no point spruiking it Because the tickets are almost gone But mm. if, there are eight left So if anyone who listens to this When's this come out?
1: Oh, I don't know Maybe like mm, After the eight, so What's today? Wednesday Maybe like Friday? Thursday, Friday? That's a good to edit this That th- gives it a
0: week Yeah You've got a lot to edit through too like No. Nah,
1: l- I don't edit shit a- I just get, I'm just going to do the start bit with music no, and no, I think the key the- is you
0: edit the shit <laughs>
1: this is all this is all gold this Uh, is raw time raw man time yeah
0: exactly um yeah i think it'll be cool man it'll be a good show and i think it's going to be good feedback for for the venue and for other bands they've got they've got a couple before us but we're definitely part of the forefront i think we're the the first full metal attack Mm. um I should bring up ha- how fucking good it is to have True Believer opening the show too. I fucking love that band. Mm. I love that I know the dudes in the band, but that's completely irrelevant. I'm a fanboy for that band. So when it came to, to putting on an opener, it wasn't even a question. I was like, people need to fucking hear this band. They're doing really well, but I just would love to expose them to our crowd. Because yeah. um, they're sick. Yeah. so everyone who listens to this go on iTunes True Believer and while you're listening to them look at their artwork because their artwork is superior to a majority of local bands that would open for a band like us yeah Mm. superior dudes, superior songs sound like a Christian band in their name might be a Christian band. Oh no, they have a song about Satan. No, nah, it's all about Satan for yeah, sure. It yeah. is definitely about Satan, isn't it? We've got some. Uh,
1: we've got some personal insight here over at the Fucky yeah. uh, Tarot Lady Camp, and uh, yeah, it's all okay. about that Satan. Not Can really- confirm
0: Satan. Lock in Satan. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But we have that are all in all common about with Hull them now? Hell is bad. Satan yeah. or fire. Okay, and, so okay.
0: pretty much my wheelhouse. <laughs> like peas in a pod with old maids desecrated. Just add a fucking <laughs> tank in there, and we're good. Just add a song about how a tank's tougher than a skull and you've pretty much summed up 10 years of playing in Desecrator. Well, there it is in a neat little package. Don't need to listen to it. <laughs> Riley's biography. Tanks are tougher than skulls.
1: Mm, it's, mm. A, it's a good line, actually. Have mm. you been thinking about that? Is that, already, is that a lyric in a song?
0: It's a. Well, we released it on a T-shirt. We put a tiger tank and they wrote tougher than skulls and it was running over some skulls.
2: That's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs>
0: I think we sold it to more dudes Who were tank enthusiasts Than people who knew what the logo said above it
2: <laughs> Tank enthusiasts
0: <laughs> I mean, We played the the Nash in Geelong <laughs> This dude came up after He was like I've got, I've got to have the singlet with the tiger on it I'm like alright Did you enjoy the show? Like, I like didn't see it <laughs>
1: That was my dad actually <laughs> yeah. It was good to
0: meet him <laughs> I'm glad he still wears it. Fucking loves tanks. (laughs) Fucking loves tanks.
1: Who doesn't love tanks?
0: (laughs) There's a place you can go and drive tanks.
1: Here in Australia?
0: Yeah, you know. It's like three or four hours driveway. They have tank options. You go up. You can can camp there overnight. You dress up all military and they let you drive their fucking tanks. And they have an array of personnel carriers and tanks you can drive. It's fucking exceptional. And they... They put up all the, the smoke screens and everything and you drive through as if you're in a war zone I've been wanting to go there for my birthday for years but unfortunately no one likes me so mm-hmm. my birthday goes unnoticed
1: fuck when's your birthday is it coming up
0: forgotten <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is the time that you need to broadcast to everyone who's listening yeah. to this because it'll be your friends
0: no you never forget my birthday because I don't like Star Wars uh-huh. and my birthday is May the 4th mm. so I'm constantly getting that one but May the 4th 1989 and justice for all tour festival hall show
2: whoa that's
0: the fucking landmark not wow. that I was there I was too young but I've got older metalhead mates who every year when it's my birthday say happy Seattle 89 oh yeah
1: that's really lovely that's a true yeah. friend I think so yeah
0: a true friend and get me tanks <laughs>
1: <laughs> you heard your <it> first <laughs> listeners uh, go. May 4th going on a tank fucking tank mission with you that would be fun
0: uh, uh, I reckon
1: yeah who yeah. doesn't like tanks exactly crazy. All right, quick five questions. <laughs> probably Riley someone Strong.
0: who's lived through a fucking war, the poor soul. You know, he, here we are laughing about tanks saying they're great. Anyone who's been anywhere near a war zone probably thinks tanks fucking suck. Yeah, cuz they destroyed everything they love. So, tanks not funny. I just want to put that on the record. Tougher, tougher than a skull. Tougher than skulls, that's a yeah. fact. <laughs> the t-shirt was factual, not humorous. Stop laughing about it. This is fucked up.
1: <laughs> okay, quick fire questions. Riley really Strong, let's go. Analog or digital? Analog. What time did you wake up today?
0: Six oh three. My one-eyed cat Joshua woke me up by by standing on me. Didn't decide it was breakfast time. He's a fucking champion. He's, he's got one eye.
1: He's got one eye. Huh. What happened to his other eye? It's gone. Did you did you when you got the cat? Did you yeah, have an
0: eye? I adopted him. Yeah. I think a fight, he's got lots of scars on his head. He's a big boy. I reckon he got punctured in a fight. He doesn't care though. He doesn't know.
1: You ever thought about putting an eye patch on him? I definitely have put an eye patch on him. (laughs) 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 Would you you
0: own a pirate cat and not dress him up as a
1: pirate? Well, exactly. I was just hoping that you got bored potentially nicer. I'll send
0: you a photo later of him dressed as a pirate.
1: If you do, I'll put it on the Instagram. Good. Um, You're welcome, people. Last thing you read.
0: I just read Riley Strong, King of Swords on your...
2: Beautiful.
0: I read it upside down too, so do I get points on that? Because I'm actually really good at reading upside down. You're really good at... It's not really served me well in my life, but I could read most things upside down if you needed it. If, say, for example, we were hanging upside down from a bungee cord Mm -hmm. and we had a severely quick decision to make to sever the cord or burn to death from napalm and the instructions on how to sever the cord were upside down, I got you.
1: Great. I really hope that happens in mm. some way because then what an amazing story that will be to be like oh my god thanks to Riley's skills we got out of that in one piece instead yep. of dying or burning or dropping mm. there's a lot of, there's, <laughs> a lot of there's, a lot, there's a lot of danger there it's starting to sound like a Batman like trap that's been set
0: <laughs> oh I was going MacGyver but again it's a mullet oh, thing
1: oh <laughs> yeah right he would, MacGyver if there actually a... would be in a situation where that would happen
0: and he'd fucking work it out with, like a, with a really mild mannered low level at acting ability hmm. <laughs> i feel like he didn't do an acting lesson until stargate you know what i mean
1: yeah i i loved macgyver as a kid oh, i did I, too I, I don't remember anything else about go
0: it. back and watch a macgyver episode and you'll see that the man has less facial expression than chuck norris
1: yeah. what about the reboot did you watch the reboot show there's a new macgyver did you really? know this? yeah
0: hmm. because he solve everything with a laptop
1: that's a really good question i wonder what he's yeah. do. like in the promo stuff it's like he's hanging from a chair and there's danger behind him But he's like got a real cool look on his face like i don't care i'm about to fall into some shit behind me like it's got that kind of but it's not like tnt or one of those i already American, hate him yeah like i'm gonna
0: write about that on the internet and hope should, that he personally reads it
1: correct mm. yeah you should just it's your opinion so it's fact and you should exactly. just yell at him and tell him <laughs> it's, absolutely so, i'm gonna
0: find i'm gonna find him
1: what's your first memory do you have anything that pokes out in your brain as like an early memory? No. Fantastic. Moving on. To your coffee. You're drinking a coffee right now.
0: I do like coffee. You're drinking a coffee at night time. I nighttime. fucking love coffee. Yeah. With, with a dollar of actually. Cream? This is my, because it's like my third or fourth for the day, I'm sweating from my armpits right now. You know you've had the right amount of coffee in a day when you profusely sweat from normally the right armpit. That's my body's like detox reaction to coffee. It just says like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm going to embarrass you publicly now.
1: Good to know. Only the right armpit.
0: Only the right one. Mm.
1: There you go. Uh, Last thing you cooked.
0: Cheese Kranskis. Cool. Yeah. Cheese Kranskis and mash is a simple but coveted favorite in my household. It's a can't be fucked cooking but want a real feel-good one. Mm. Yeah, that's a big one for us. And then just like smash tomato sauce on it, like cheap sugary tomato sauce. You know, just just really... It's the adult version of little boys. Yeah. You know, the little cocktail frankfurts. It's just, that's what you do when you're a grown-up. You get a bigger one.
2: Mm.
1: Fucking genius. Mm-hmm. Um, what inspires you?
0: Um, lots of things uh, inspire me. I The... The first thing that comes to mind is when people manage to walk towards the sun and look in an upwards direction, but don't seem to react to the big purple blotch that they must be getting in their eyes. Like, I can't look anywhere near that if I'm walking I mean even driving here because it was sunset and I was driving around the ring road and that brought me straight into it my eyes just wouldn't go near that I'd take my sunglasses off because I I couldn't get a happy medium and I was thinking about those people I'm
1: thinking good on you (laughs) so glad that's really specific (laughs) so specific last record you played
0: actual record or or album
1: it could be either whichever one's going to give you more cred on this podcast
0: nah 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fuck cred. <laughs> fuck, fuck cred. Um, I, uh, I just got Kirk Winstein from Crowbar and Down. I just got... Um, His solo one? Yeah. I was a little bit slow to it. Uh, I'm a mega Crowbar fan. We were lucky enough to tour with them um, and get to... I stood at merch every night because we played before them, so I'd go out and, and do merch after our set. And I got to stand in front of them every fucking night. And they just made me their biggest, biggest, biggest fan. They're so crushingly heavy and legitimate. But Kirk is so old school. Um, I've got heaps of Kirk stories. But we'll save that for the next podcast maybe. Sounds Um, great.
1: We actually tried to get Kirk on this podcast last year. But it all kind of fell apart. But it would have been lovely if it did happen. It was like like this close. He's
0: the sweetest man. I feel like you probably could have got it over the line.
1: Well, because what happened was, if you want to, I, I can tell my Kirk story because that's the only one I've got. It Go. Was, they'd done, they were playing, was it Sydney? And they came to Melbourne and then we were like, yes, we had the time, we we're going to mm. lock it in at like the hotel room before the show. Yep. But then there was a meet and greet at like five o'clock. Yeah. And then I think he'd, party to be too hardy the night before so he was using that time to nap instead of podcast yeah, yeah. which i understand i'm yeah. not going to be like hey you know what though be he's tired a big napper too yeah. yeah
0: he's a big napper but- he's missus who tours with him robin uh she puts him to bed like, <laughs> like tucks uh, him in and at the end of the night if he's had too much piss they go off to bed together and he he just adores her and she adores him they're beautiful couple and she just takes him off and they sick. just toddle off and it's so <laughs> fucking sick if i if i can have that type of uh, relationship bliss at his age and his point uh i'd be fucking stoked mm. um he used to sing to us he, he's big on um he loves singing like old 70s pop songs and shit obscure shit that you haven't really heard but he's an old enough dude that what he remembers from his childhood is is very different and in his Kirk blown out crowbar voice he'll just get backstage and sing them to you I've got one because my name is Riley I've got one of him backstage singing me there's a a, like a Repco equivalent in the States called O'Reilly's Auto Parts and he used (laughs) to sing me the jingle
1: oh my god that's fucking (laughs) awesome um
0: but they were, they were rad dudes. Uh, Kirk, Matt, the guitarist at, at the time, uh, big sexy T on bass and fucking Tommy Buckley on drums. They couldn't have been nicer dudes. And, uh, that was a mega experience in my life. So I've, I've followed them intently. I'm still in, in sporadic contact with them. Um, but you know, it's one of those things you don't want to just talk for the sake of talking. Like if there's something to talk about, I'll, I'll message him and, uh, but otherwise I just hope that we get to you know see him somewhere in the world again someday yeah. but um yeah i got his solo album and um it's just a sick progression of what he writes for crowbar you know being the dominant writer for for crowbar obviously they sound similar but i can hear him just having sh- the freedom to allow himself to spread to spread out left and right a bit it's mm. like like I would imagine, I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine being the band leader and the, the figurehead of that band and the, the songwriter, he would apply his own cattle gates for where things stop, what's a crowbar riff and what's not. Mm. Whereas I I feel like on the solo album, he hasn't done that. He's just let himself create and explore. And that really translated to me, so I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. My um, My night for that Melbourne show, so... I was meant to go to that Melbourne show um, to to see all of them. We were playing in Ge- Geelong that night. There was a festival down in Geelong that that got organised at the Bar and Club, as everything is. It was a Blaze Fest or something. We were headlining it, so we we're going to go headline that. Then we we're going to hightail it back to Melbourne. We we're going to miss the Crowbar show, but I've seen them like thirty times, so <laughs> I was like, okay, that's cool, but but I want to get there and I want to see him. I really wanted to do it a week before six yeah a week five days before that so from that saturday rewind to this to the saturday before i was in adelaide um my girlfriend and i drove drove over to adelaide um to, to stay for the weekend we originally had a hotel book because metallica were two and then metallica cancelled because james going into rehab we kept the accommodation driving holiday on the way back i get a call from my mate doug dalton who's a promoter hardline media he um he was bringing out uh venom Inc, as in uh, the version of venom that is mantis um and a demolition man not the chronos version um he was bringing them out to play in sydney at frankie's for their their once a year birthday show that they go all out on so apparently once a year frankie's in sydney for for anyone who hasn't been there is like the chair he's like what a cherry Bar is in Melbourne. It's their version of a dive bar. It's a pizza joint. It's got a six stage in the corner. They have rad shows. They can fit a couple of hundred more in than Cherry can. It's got a really good buzz. And every year they throw a mega Christmas party, and the venue gives a promoter, usually Doug, a budget and says, We need an international. We want someone like a big figurehead. And he, he's gotten. I'm pretty sure Phil Anselmo did it the year before with wow. the King Parrot and stuff, and you know they always find some some big name. And this year, the Advent of Mint coming out for one show the exclusive show, playing at Frankie's, free entry. Apparently, by lunchtime, the thing is just done on capacity and stays Whoa. on capacity. But the venue won't ever ticket it. This is that that's their vibe. So he's got them coming out. Calls me on the Sunday. I'm driving back from uh, I'm driving back from from Adelaide. Adelaide. There we go coffee's starting to wear off um <laughs> and calls me and says dude um how fast do you reckon you can learn a set of venom songs uh because mantis can't make it to australia and we don't know what we're doing at the moment but we need someone to play guitar in venom do you think you could be mantis in a four days time whoa what are you going to say to that you know being asked to replace d dude who wrote black metal who's a personal friend of mine as well so helping them out because we've, we've toured with them overseas i teched for him for a whole bunch of shows so i knew i knew him and i'm familiar with the songs but um being asked to join venom for a show it was just like you know play countess bathory and all those classic oh. songs it was like a, a moment i was like again i I say yes. So I said yes, and then I freaked the fuck out for eight hours driving back for Adelaide. Like, what have I fucking done? During that week, my grandma died, and we had her funeral. I drove to Lawn and used my car that's parked out the front of your house in a friend's wedding. I played a desecrator show in Geelong, and then instead of driving back to see crowbar i drove home crammed some more venom songs flew to sydney the next day rehearsed for five hours with the guys and then got on stage that night and played a set of venom songs and it was the most intense fucking week of my life man it was so much so that when i retell that i don't feel like i was present like i sat down after it um and the world was just a different place. You know what I mean? Whoa. Like it was, yeah, it was full on. I was shitting myself because I'd learned 11 songs in four days and I was the the only fucking guitarist. It's not like there's two guitarists you can hide behind the other guy and look over at him. I'm <laughs> it. I got to do everything, you know? I don't, yeah, yeah. I still don't know if I did a good or a bad job, but people cheered and said nice things. So that was kind of them. So so it must've gone okay because people went fucking nuts. The show went sick. So. Yeah,
1: and they didn't give you any internet hate.
0: No, no, none that I saw. It's probably all behind my back. Um, But yeah, so that's uh, where I was that night that you were trying to get the Kirk podcast. That's my story about that.
1: We're all trying to just climb the ladder, you know? (laughs) We're
0: all just stepping up, you know? We're all just taking steps in directions that we can get them, you know? It was actually a really, yeah, it was a crazy fucking time. Now I get to say I've done that. Isn't li- life strange? Isn't life why? a fucking weird I thing, know eh? that at all. No, that's the weird thing about it. Because it came and went so quickly, and it was such a flash pan thing, not many people know what happened. Yeah. Like, like it's not a thing, and it's not easy to, like, unless I'm taking over your Kirk stories, it's not an easy thing to, to segue into, you know what I mean? So it's, it's not that easy to, <laughs> for me to drop it, which is why I have to when I can, you know? You went close enough. If you hadn't it have gone was on that the same close, day
1: or sec- sorry, the next day, I
0: would have left it because we were almost wound up. But I feel like at least now I've gotten it down. It's done, and yeah, the internet bit- has a lot of video of it. There's definitely evidence out there. <laughs> Tony, who is the singer in mink we had a lovely time with him. He had a great time on stage, and he was very, very grateful that that they could still come and play the show. Frankie's was. Stoked they didn't have a, you know, the the main draw card just, just pull out. Mm. Um,
1: you're a bloody hero. You're welcome. Yeah, it's all good.
0: <laughs> you're just doing your bit, man. I'm just trying to help out, man. As I said at the start, these are, you know, the, this sounds like I'm a shameless fucking name dropper, but they're, they're just my stories, man. This is my life. This is all I do. Because outside of this, if you said, right, you can't tell a music story, Riley. We want to talk to you about about everything else. I'd probably find a way to talk. I can talk, let's face Mm. it. But I don't have a lot else, you know. I've learnt to, over the last years, build a bit of a life around music because you need stability. But um, this is it. This is it, man. So this is, you know, the bright shining light. So I better have some fucking stories, otherwise I've wasted 10 years of my life.
1: You better have played in Venom Inc. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or else... (laughs) Uh, Who do you love?
0: Um, I love a lot of people, man. I I love my friends. I love my girlfriend. I love my small... I've got a small family and I love my small family. I love the bands that influenced me. I love when someone gets up and does something particularly gutsy that you didn't expect, no matter what platform we're talking on. Like, let's say you're watching a dude carry bags of cement and he's totally fucking broken, but he, he just grabs four of those things and lifts them over his head and walks with it. I love him. I fucking love the effort he's going to. I love it. I love him. I got a lot of love. I love a lot of people.
1: Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, what do you value the most?
0: Uh... I feel like even though it's an obvious answer, I value friendship. Um, as you get older, especially coming through COVID, that really points that out. You know, connection, like connection and friendship. I value um, the stimulation of of interacting and, you know, humans. Yeah. Uh, some of them. <laughs> nah, most of them. man i even want the ones that i don't like to like me
1: yeah i got that too it's It's hard to let go of isn't it it's
0: rough it's a rough gig man (laughs) Uh, you know i don't like that guy i don't like anything about him but i don't i can't handle it he doesn't like me Mm. so i'm gonna be really nice to him Mm.
1: but that only seems to make it worse though i'm thinking in the context of like workplaces yeah absolutely where it's like I, that guy I can tell hates me Yeah. Everyone else likes me But yeah. that one guy But I'll go to the effort To try and make that guy like me But it's fucking pointless Yeah. Oh, that,
0: absolutely Because at the end of the day His decision's completely independent To yours And he's allowed to have it It's just his opinion man
1: And he's right <laughs> So he's allowed to say it on the internet
0: you got to stop taking Other people's lunch Out of the fridge
1: <laughs> That is true I Just was because notorious. he's Hispanic And got tastier food than you It's
0: not his fucking fault
1: I'm drinking boring white people food, you know, some interesting... <laughs> Fucking
0: sweaty ham and yeah. wet cheese sandwich on a bit of tip-top. Oh, high fiber. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you more of a Batman or a Robin? Neither. Ooh.
0: Neither, man. Batman's dark horse, quiet, hiding away in a cave. That's not me.
1: Who are you then? If I'd you be were... Superman. Yeah.
0: Because I'm out there talking to people, and then I change costumes and become someone else, but I'm still out there talking to people. I'm, you know, yeah.
1: No one's ever said they're a Superman in this in all these questions, so I thank you for yeah, bringing okay. that in, into the fold. I like yeah. that. A lot. I
0: definitely like to wear my undies on the outside, so <laughs> I they feel have, like I'm one of them. They're
1: phasing that out now with Superman. He doesn't have the little red, the little red triangle anymore because it's not
2: allowed. It's Is it inappropriate?
1: Like it just doesn't make sense anymore. Because it was based off circus Strongman. that was the whole concept of where that oh. came from. And then as you get further and further down the line, you're like, well, it's an alien guy who's come from another planet who mm. crash lands on Earth. And the, I think now it's armor, like it's Kryptonian armor. True, that's so it's point. not just like a.
0: Just Where's six, his underwear?
1: Probably on the inside now. No, he wouldn't. He might be like a wetsuit. <laughs> just, he might not wear any. You know,
0: <laughs> just so he can do pee, <laughs> just so he can wee himself while he's. You don't really see, the the. Any of those superheroes having a quick toilet break, though, do you? No. Superheroes don't pee or poo.
1: I think that fight or flight would kick in when you're in the middle of like a fight with Lex Luthor. You wouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm going to run off mid-set and take a crack and come back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I don't know. Whenever you're about to do something really important, you get a bit nervy pee. That's true. Some people nervy poo.
1: Yeah, that's true. Maybe he And they a- do
0: some important stuff. Imagine what's his name, <laughs> Iron Man, Stark. <laughs> Stark, is that Iron Man? Yeah. Yeah, well that's a big bit of metal. And there's a lot of
1: room inside it too. Like when you see the, the screens and shit in he's inside he's got room. So he pooed in there. That's He has a filtration system built in there. That there's a there's a mention of that in the Iron Man Two oh. movie that you can like pee so it's like suit. a suction yeah cause in Iron Man like astronauts he's drunk so like he pees and then in the movie he's joking about the filtration system working which is pretty clever I
0: feel like it's good they it. addressed it
1: yeah mm. I think so too cause otherwise they'd be like fuck he's been in that suit flying around for ages well
0: that's been my main reason to not enjoy superheroes <laughs> 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 the fundamental flaw of how they pee or poo <laughs> it's a great concern it's gotta make
1: sense man it's a head scratch for sure yeah <laughs> What movie could you watch every day and not get sick of? Is it Big Trouble in Little China? The Castle. Oh, good one. I love it. Great.
0: I love him. I love Daryl. He battles. I love Bud Tingwell. C- comes in and fights for the common man. Hmm. The pride in that house, you know? <laughs> you heard my dad, now fuck off. Oh, so many good lines. <laughs> Dad, I dug another hole. It's filling up with water. Oh, I love it.
1: It's so good. It's it. so good. Um, speaking of movies, first MA 15 plus movie you ever saw?
0: Ooh, I feel like it was Under Siege.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And
0: the thing that stuck with me was the breasts of the girl coming out of the cake at the start. Nothing to do with the fact that Seagal always looks like he's tired, mm. but manages to kill everybody. Like, I'm sleeping and I'm going to kick your ass. He's always got real, real tired eyes on, you know? Do you know what's a film you shouldn't watch? <laughs> Under Siege 2. Because they went, hang on, one worked, was on a boat. Tommy Lee Jones, it was gutsy. Two, let's put him on a fucking train and give him a daughter or a niece or some shit. That'll work. Didn't work. Didn't work. Worked about as well as his jazz guitar career. <laughs> Didn't work.
1: Shot's I don't
0: think he listens to this, does he?
1: He plays, yeah. He plays guitar, and it, isn't he play like in fire down below or something? He's like a blues guitarist or something. Is that his gimmick? He's before something he, before he kicks before he kicks some lazy ass. Yeah. <laughs> and he's I
0: oh, just yeah. I don't know. Back when I used to work in guitar shops, there were a lot of dudes who used to pay session musicians to play with them so that they felt like they they could play. And I feel like that's where cigars at.
1: Whoa, is that um, a thing?
0: That's a thing. If you're rich and you want to be a musician but you don't have the patience to actually learn to play or any type of aptitude, what's the next best thing? Use your money and influence to get some kick-ass session players. I think I've just summed up most of the pop industry, haven't I? Mm. Some producer writes your song, some dance choreograph guy makes your film clip... Then you get a backing band to record it all in the studio. These days a producer because most of the sounds electronic. Then you lay down some vocals. They auto-tune the fuck out of it and you're a success. All those people take all the money. You get a tiny bit of an appearance fee. Maybe an Adidas endorsement. Yeah. My car was in an Adidas Uh, ad. What? Yeah, a friend of mine needed an old car for an Adidas ad. Um, And I said, sure. So my car... Was was an Adidas ad, like a really groovy hip-hop looking girl with tra- track suits and, and runners sitting on a Rusty Kingswood.
1: Sick. Yeah, really.
0: I didn't get it. <laughs> my car looked cool. Was, I'm sure she was lovely. Because
1: your car is a very distinctly yellow. Was it like...
0: No, it was my other one, which is matte oh, black. It looks like oh. something out of Mad Max. It was, it's real, yeah, real okay. angry looking car. Because
1: yeah. I was wondering how they're going to color, like there must be someone on like the wardrobe being like, how are we going to match this bright yellow color yeah. to this Adidas thing? Like, that's... <laughs> yeah. Unless it was yellow and well, we look fucking great. Exactly. Maybe yeah. we should hit them up next time they've got some yellow stuff launching. I think the so. Yellow car in. Mm. Um, if you were a kind of dessert, what kind of dessert would you be?
0: Mm. Um, uh, uh, bread and butter pudding. Why is that? Because I just go on for ages and really fill you up with shit.
1: <laughs> awesome. Um, oh, favourite piece of band merch? That that I own. Mm. Or, or potentially you've made? Is it Tanks Tanks Tougher Than Skulls? Um, the favourite piece of band
2: merch?
0: We have a lighter at the moment, a cigarette lighter that... that uh, I took the ride, the lightning font, and write and wrote light fire with lighter instead of fight fire with fire.
1: I Did see that today? Yep. I did uh, appreciate that.
0: That was fun. Um, we did many runs of of like underwear and stuff that had inappropriate things written on them. Geez, they sell well. People like inappropriately worded underwear. Mm. Played a gig, first gig with Overkill in Switzerland. Um, we had g-strings for sale uh that said aussie gash attack instead of aussie thrash attack and a little map of australia on the front of the g-string and in one night i reckon we sold half of our tour stock like easy over 10 or 15 of these things to one really creepy like ecstasy out cargo pants wearing dude who would have been in his 60s He just kept... He bought them all individually. He kept coming back and just buying one more. And he'd say, say, what size do you want? And he'd be like, um, in broken English, he'd be like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. And he'd just buy another one. And then he'd fuck off for a little bit and then he'd just come back and buy another one. And we just kept selling them to him (laughs) because... He definitely made it gross. (laughs) I can remember the temple sweat, which is why I figure that he was like on some type of amphetamine or something. I mean, he was pretty spaced out, but he just had the profuse temple sweat of someone Mm. who's... Really, whose body's uh, meridian lines are really dealing with some shit right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the G-strings were the least of his body's worry. <laughs>
1: <That's> so <crazy>. good. <laughs> if you had to live in a horror movie, which horror movie would you live
0: in? I hate horror movies, man. You I, do. Can't, I can't watch them. I get scared. I got scared watching Supernatural, for fuck's sake. <laughs> My missus loves horror films. She loves them. I can't watch them. Light on light. I I can't. Unless you're prepared to hold my hand the whole way through. (laughs) Like really hold that sweaty palm and have the lights on. I just can't do them, man. I don't like getting scared. I don't enjoy it. If If I go for entertainment, it's not the feeling of fear. I don't bounce back from it. I just get scared and stay scared. Huh. Yeah.
1: Fascinating. (laughs) this goes against all the heavy metal tropes that i just thought you would you know live in you know
0: man i'm a walking fucking contradiction (laughs) (laughs) you
1: are hard and wet at the same time (laughs) exactly i have that cheese man (laughs) (laughs) um if you had the opportunity to see any gig in past or present future wherever like like a little time machine gig time machine where would you go and what would you watch
0: I never got to... Oh. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> this one's hard because you know I like live music. It's correct. You know I like gigs.
1: There's not a go-to place or a go-to thing where you're like, fuck, I'd love to be at this.
0: Live shit, binge and purge, Saturday night. like Like Metallica anywhere on the Justice Tour. Jason Newkid, sweet undercut, Hetfield's strongest voice had just shaved in the fucking iconic sideburns to mustache combo but he was still like like he was on it. Kirk had still practiced guitar and hadn't just gotten straight into the wah so he was nailing it. Lars had like had the the five up toms that were as big as floor toms and he was just had little Denmark flag with the white kit and the justice stairs. I'd love to see that live. I'd love to see that in its moment because to me I like a lot of eras of that band but Live I think that that was their strongest era for me. I really liked that era. I just thought Hetfield was was off his dick um yeah, short one that would do um <laughs> I feel like there's something just out of reach, which is like and I wish I was there there's a few that I never got to tick off like I never got to I never got to tick off Twisted sister before they broke up. I did get to play with d. Snyder. So I got that. That's cool. We supported Dee Snyder in Sydney when he came to Australia. Um, And that was cool. That was a nice thing to have and I enjoyed seeing the song. So I got pretty close in that way. He was a really cool guy. Um, But I would have loved to see Twisted Sister. They were just on my bucket list of bands I needed to see. Um, And the rest of them I think I've ticked off.
1: Amazing. Mm. Uh, Favourite shapes flavour?
0: pizza yeah pizza especially when you, when you get a good batch you know when you get a you shake the box at the supermarket and you try and hear the, the flavour <laughs> you, you can hear the granules because on a pizza shapes as opposed to barbecue shapes they got bigger the the granules of flavour the, the little orange
2: balls on. <laughs> the pizza topping <laughs> you fucking philistine
0: <laughs> you can hear them shake yeah. And you're like, this, this a, is a good bag.
2: It's a full bag,
1: yeah. So then
0: when you get down the the bottom and you got like the, the inevitable leftover and you use them as a scoop and Ooh. you get that big on pizza, that's, yeah, it's big stuff there. Brie, double or triple brie with pizza shapes. Whoa. Yeah, fuck right off. That's
1: next level. Yeah. Uh, and famous last words. Is there any quotes or any like things you like, something you might want to put on a tombstone?
0: It's funny when uh first ever desecrator shirt we released um uh was it on the shirt no it wasn't on a shirt i said it live once uh i said if if thrash is dead then i'm its tombstone <laughs> and at the time we it was in geelong i think i said it and um there were enough people there from enough bands that i went on knowing that no one ever let me figure that they they called me Tombstone Strong for a good few years. I was living with the dudes from Dead City Ruins at the time and they cut out a big cardboard tombstone and they wrote it on it and stuck it on my room door. <laughs> How audacious is that though? But at the time, you've yeah, you got to understand the time, that's like nine or ten years ago now that th- thrash metal, in inverted commas, thrash metal was just seeing like all these revival bands were coming back Mm. it was when they were all rising up and I was a bit outraged at the time because to me it it wasn't coming back because it had always existed like Mm. if you look at the timeline the genre never stopped just because grunge happened or because you know the popular music taste changed it was just that thrash metal was like the popular metal for six years in the 80s you know what I mean like that's all it was we just remember it very kindly but um, you know it didn't die to me so I was yeah that was always my thing was that thrash isn't dead but if it's dead I'm its fucking tombstone <laughs> those are my last words
1: that's a great way to end the show Riley thank you so much for coming over in thank your you, lovely man. car and uh, give us your time for this podcast
0: I'm really looking forward to seeing you my lovely car still exists out the front <laughs> Thanks for having me, There's
1: about a 50-50 chance that it's still there. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Post Ramble. Uh, not heaps to talk about this week, not a whole lot going on, and I don't want to plug that gig too hard because it's probably sold out by now. But if there are other gigs happening, uh, buy tickets and sell them out and prove that we all want to see music again, no matter how awkward socially distanced Bendigo Hotel will be. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm very excited to have a sit down and a drink and watch True Believer and Desecrator. It's going to be a great night. But other than that, yeah, there's nothing really much else going on. Follow the Instagram, at Fucky Lady. You can like me on Facebook as well. People like the post and that's really nice, but I only just do the set across to the thing. You guys know this. Follow links in the descriptions for all the usual linky description stuff. There's also a link to the Patreon there if you want to support the show and also maybe add a question to the Lightning Round Pools, intro or outro. Send them through to me if you... uh if you are a patron or if you want to patronize and then you can let me know and it'll go in the pool and and we'll ask them. We'll ask the questions to our future guests. Thanks so much for listening guys. Hope you really enjoyed it. I'll see you guys soon for the next one.